Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattledgen Broadcasting Premier Podcast. Damn you, Hollywood! And here's your host, Robert Winfrey. Yay! Yay! It's me. How you doing, everybody? Uh, As mentioned, uh, this is Damn You, Hollywood. Tonight, we are talking about Dare... Dennis Villanueva's adaptation of Frank Herbert's epic sci-fi novel, Dune. And joining me on this particular discussion, we'll not be discussing the David Lynch film. Mark already did that uh, in an on-trial format and had a lot of fun with it, I imagine. (laughs) No, David did that. I was just there. (laughs) It was a group effort. Fair enough. (laughs) So we have here with us Mark Radlich, per usual. Mark, how are you? Oh, I'm great. Today was a great day, and I'm happy to be here tonight with you, gents, talking about a movie that Mike Children and I loved. I, uh, yeah, all right, fair enough. I was gonna make <laughs> I was gonna make a joke, but I think you'd get mad at me, so I will I will pocket that. One. My son's reaction as soon as it was over. God, I wish that was better. My daughter's reaction to the first thirty minutes. <sighs> My reaction to the movie when it was over. Well, at least it was better than David Lynch's version. Uh, also joining us from the uh, from the Canadian offices, he's a big, big fan of most things science fiction related. Most, not all. Please do not harass him on various social media platforms. But David Wright is back. How you doing, Dave? I am good, thanks. There's a reason why I don't put any of my contact info in these things. <laughs> You're probably, <clears throat> that is probably a wise decision. That that does crack me up because Dave David's not on Twitter to put a Twitter in there, but you are on Twitter and you're very active on Twitter, um, and you have a very active social media presence. But yet you don't you don't promote any of that stuff. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm very active, but okay. You um... are active whenever I'm commenting on anything, ever. Well, that's, be- that's because <laughs> I, that's the opportunity to poke at you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe that should be your Twitter handle. Uh, Robert Winfrey pokes at Mark. Could be. Uh, so, I don't know. I might switch it up next time to put it in there if anyone cares. I, I can't imagine anyone cares. <laughs> you never know. That's, that's kind of the other reason I don't put it up there. Like, who cares? <laughs> some, some people do. All so right. Dune. So, so Dune. Loki. The Dune, or whatever it is we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I suppose. David, you decided you wanted to be involved in this. Uh, Dune's a pretty towering presence in the science fiction universe uh one of those ones that's influenced you know gobs and gobs of other material so it's been adapted a couple of different times we have the david lynch movie about which the less said the better is a general rule the sci-fi mm-hmm. television show sci-fi comics television. the sci-fi limited television series etc so what kind of inspired you to be on this podcast in particular and when you heard we were getting another Dune adaptation, and the director in particular, were you positive, negative, uh, any other way? Yeah, so my first introduction to Dune was the actual 1984 David Lynch movie. 
which was on TV one day and my dad was watching it and I sat down and watched it with him, which I actually thought it was kind of interesting, though I would say that a lot of that probably had to do with my dad was there and he had read the book. So he was there to explain what was going on to me most of the time. Did he so, ever get around to trying to explain why David Lynch decided that the only way he could have, he could properly adapt an omniscient third-person perspective novel was to actually have the inner monologues of the characters whispered into a microphone and then played over scenes where the camera stares at them? Did you not listen to the on-trial we did? We covered that at length. <laughs> yeah. I think he just said, like, oh, that's just a lot of the stuff in the book is inside the character's mind, so that's how the film I, dealt I, with that. I have a question for, sure. the, for the group. They, um, we talked about this briefly, David, about the effect of Star Wars um, and how not, it not only changed blockbuster filmmaking, filmmaking in general, but it also, where, where science fiction had sort of died on film um, for a period, you know, for a long period of years, Star Wars ushered in this sort of rush by studios to get more science fiction stuff out there you know we got we ended up with flash gordon we ended up with star trek the motion picture we ended up with dune and a lot of these as you know as you can see by robert's tongue motion there yeah did not go very well but i'm just wondering i mean does anyone have any insight as to why dune specifically was in that you know there's shit tons of science fiction books that could have been adapted and rushed into development to uh, take advantage of the of the Star Wars effect, Dune was Dune happened to be one of them. Why Dune and not some others? And I only ask that question because Dune is such a dense story with I, so much with so so much like internal politics. It doesn't really lend itself to the kind of action adventure that Star Wars did. I think the primary reason is simply popularity. Again, Dune is a tower is one of the towering monoliths of science of science fiction writing. Mm -hmm. Like everything. Uh, it, it's one of those like it's one of those novels that warped, for better and for worse, depending on uh, what we're talking about specifically, the genre around it. It was that big a deal. Okay. I mean, it's yeah. not quite what to Dune is to sci-fi, not quite what Tolkien is to fantasy, but close. Close. It's, it's a, it, it was a very it's a very well-known property in that particular respect. Go ahead, Dave. You want to weigh in? Um. You know, I think Dune works because, uh, yes, there is a lot of depth to Dune, but the basic story is not that hard to follow. Like, mm -hmm. you know, rival families, revenge, you know, jealousy, like that kind of stuff. So it's like West Side Story. Yeah, yeah, like you can enjoy it at that level, but then, mm -hmm. yeah, there's the more heady stuff underneath, the more dense stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, it's almost like you might be noticing kind of like an anime where, you know, like if... You know, if, if you were to ask, you know, Lily, you know, what's Demon Slayer about? You would get this, you know, 30 minute rant about the organization of the Demon Slayer Corps and the different demons and their life cycles. Instead, it's just like there are demons. People with swords kill them. You know, <laughs> that's it. that's basically what Demon Slayer is about. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. But you can you can certainly go into a lot more detail with that. But for me, like after watching the movie a few years later, I think when I was almost in junior high or middle school in American. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I read, I re yeah, yeah. I hear middle school often in, from, from American sources, depends, but anyway. It, it depends on where you are. For me, middle school was sixth and seventh grade. Junior high was eight and nine. And then high school was 10, 11 and 12. Huh, interesting. Cause junior high is like seven, eight and nine in, in Canada where I am at least or where I grew up oh. moving on. So yeah. Loki. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So anyway, I, I read I read my dad's copy of the book and realized it was just you know much bigger story than what we got in the Lynch movie. And I just mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. Then I went back watched the Lynch movie again. Like yeah, it doesn't do it justice. Then the sci-fi miniseries came along and uh, you know a much better adaptation, but uh, certainly hamstrung by just you know there's only so much you can do on a sci-fi TV movie budget, despite it having a pretty sizable budget for that. And then after that, they well, did you know like. Dune Messiah, the, Children of Dune. Some of the CGI in the sci-fi series. Yeah. Some of it, it's got a few places where it's really good. But after that, it's, you know, PS2. I'm going to posit, I'm going to posit a, a question out there. And we don't have to answer it now. We shouldn't answer it now because we should talk about the movie. But let's come back to it after we've discussed the movie. I'm wondering if the best way to adapt Dune and its various offspring would be to actually do a long form streaming high-budget television show like the kind of thing that amazon's doing with lord of the rings or that uh, netflix has done with some of their shows where they dumped shit tons of money into what is you know or you know a good one would be like disney you know disney is doing um mo uh, major motion picture budgets for television shows because essentially they're six hour long movies um i'm wondering if dune fits more into that model than um which wasn't available to them certainly in 1984, then either what we're going to talk about tonight and then in 2023, as they announced today, you know, or, uh, you know, or the 84 version or the sci-fi version. We'll come back to it. So let's get into the plot, Robert. All right. The plot of the movie, such as it is. Uh, sorry, I didn't have that up. Oh, wrong. Almost typed in the very wrong movie. You have one job on this show. One. I have, I have several jobs on this show. <laughs> Reminding so, me to do the plugs is one. There we go. <laughs> All right. So th the plot of the movie very closely follows the the first half or so of the book, which is where they, which is about where they cut it. It's right in front of the two year time jump that the book takes again, about halfway through, give or take. I haven't actually read the book, so my knowledge of it is sort of. Uh, second hand as far as that but we are introduced to the world of dune uh it is uh we get a little bit of some like uh a little bit of exposition in the form of title cards about the importance of the drug spice and how it's important to the spacing guild which is a group of people that are essentially allow for interstellar travel as they use it to help them fold space and time or more space major spoiler time. That's, they talk about the guild and what it's. That's not a spoiler. Oh my god! The fact <laughs> the fact that the spa, the fact that the spacing guild was in on the destruction of House Atreides is the spoiler. And I'm not going to apologize for spoiling a book that was written in 1964. Keep going. So we're introduced to a little bit of that and the importance of this uh, uh, this drug spice, and it only comes from one place. This being the planet of Arrakis. And for a long time, this planet has been ruled by the Baron Harkonnen, the Harkonnen family. And now the Emperor, because the entire structure of this uh, intergalactic... This intergalactic it's a feudal history, society. Yeah, it's very feudal. The Emperor then removes House Harkonnen from uh, the planet of Arrakis and instead gives the planet and the spice production to House Atreides. 
And this is where we meet our principal characters. We have Duke Leto, played by Oscar Isaacs. We have our protagonist, his son, Paul, played by Timothy Chalamet. And his not-quite-wife, uh, Jessica. She's not quite his wife because she's actually... Concubine or consort. Yeah. She's not his wife because she's a member of a organization of women known as the Benny Gesserit. And I talking about the totality of Dune's world building is... And by world building, I don't just mean planets. I mean, the entire system would be a much longer it, endeavor than we're going to get His mom's into a nun. We got it. Move on. She's not a nun. But we again, we can get into the specifics as we kind of come back to this. So House Atreides and all of its various people are set. They go to Arrakis to begin picking this up. On the planet of Arrakis are its native people known as the Fremen. And Arrakis is perhaps the most hostile planet in the known universe like it it's almost impossible to live there there's the giant sandworms that burrow under the ground and eat anything there's the severe severe lack of water there it's a desert planet it really is and uh, there's the heats there's all it's just a it's a nightmare place to try and live and make and work Hang on, I, I don't like interrupting you, and I usually yell at other people when they do, but that did remind me of something that isn't really craft-related, but it was really funny. So right. my son had a really great um, observation. He was like, why is it, with all with all of these sci-fi shows that you show me, they have this great spacefaring technology. They can go from any world they want at any time they want in short amounts of time because of, it's film and movie. Yet everyone seems to live on a desert with no food. Why? And then he turned into Sam Kinison and started yelling, you live in a desert! Move where the food is! Because the spice must flow. My son is a genius. Go on. Also, George Lucas probably based Tatooine on Arrakis. Almost. Nice. First of all, almost certainly. Uh, the novel Dune predates Star Wars by quite a bit. Uh the answer to he's got that's a fair point depending on which system, which version of sci-fi we're talking about it's a little bit less clear when it comes to this one we can get into that more specifically in a minute anyway so house atreides winds up on arrakis the baron leto goes about forging a more peaceful relationship with the fremen he does not wish to murder all of them and doesn't see them as people to be repressed and hunted for sport and all the terrible debaucherous things that house harkonnen engages in so he tries to do this, and the long story short of this is this was all a setup. The Emperor actually fears the growing uh, influence that House Atreides has and wants to wipe them out. So he kind of is manipulated by Baron Harkonnen into giving them Arrakis because that will then provide enough cover for, Arrak for um, House Harkonnen to engage in a little bit of violent warfare. Yeah, if the emperor moves directly against one of the houses, the other houses will unite together and overthrow the emperor. But if a long-term rival of the house, the Harkonnen and Atreides are ancient rivals. Mm -hmm. So if the Harkonnen wipe out the Atreides, then hey, that's just you know business as usual. Pretty you know, much. No harm, no foul. And then the emperor just secretly gives them some of his elite special forces to kind of help make sure the knife goes in all the way. Yeah. So, have, as aforementioned, Harkonnen... Their house shows up with a bunch of their troops and some of the elite shock troops from uh, on loan from the Emperor. They more or less wipe out House Atreides. Uh, the Duke Leto is killed. He, well, he winds up trying to kill it. He winds up essentially committing suicide in an attempt to take the to take Baron Harkonnen with him. Doesn't quite work out, but he gets close. 
Uh, Paul and Jessica wind up fleeing into the desert where they are. Uh, they eventually wind up picked up by some of the Fremen. Paul has to fight to prove himself. He kills a man. They're welcomed into the society. And I know I'm skipping over a lot. We can get into more details as this goes on. Uh, as they go back to the... Uh, they go back to the... What is the Siege? Yeah, Siege. The, yeah, where the Fremen live. In yeah, this, yeah, this particular encampment. That's where the movie cuts off as Paul and his mother are welcomed in there by this particular group of Fremen. And Harko, uh, the House Harkonnen retakes over production of Spice on uh, Arrakis. And yeah, the Baron survives the assassination attempt. We, we see the death of one of Paul's good friends, Duncan Idaho, played by Jason Momoa, who, like a badass, takes a bunch of these nigh-unkillable shock troops with him, but is eventually overcome by numbers. And this is kind of the setup for the second half of the book which comes after a two-year time skip, and I don't really feel compelled to get into too much detail here because we're talking about this movie. So again, I skipped over a bunch of stuff, but as mentioned, the plot of this, in terms of just progression A to B to C, is not terribly difficult to follow, but there's a lot of little noodly details and fun world building that we can get into as we discuss it more specifically. So that's where this one ends with... Uh, Paul joining the Fremen for the time being to kind of figure out his place in the world and begin plotting his revenge on House Harkonnen for the death of his father and whatnot, which we will see in a couple of years. So that's essentially the plot that we're going to be dealing with here. And again, there's stuff, there's a lot of stuff that was, I skipped over there because it's noodly details. And if I wanted, if you want to know every scene and how that goes, I would encourage you to watch the film. So, as we get into the craft of this thing, Mark, I know we usually save this bit for the end as a joke, mm -hmm. but no joke, the best thing about this movie is the music. This is some of Hans Zimmer's best work. Yeah, no, um, I think he's been universally lauded for putting together, like, a superior score. I think, I actually think there's universal consensus on this, that the best thing about this movie is Hans Zimmer's score, so no, no real debate there. I, I think he does a wonderful job of you know being evocative depending on what he's on where he is. All the score changes depending on which planet we're on, uh, which is a nice thing. You know the stuff they do at House Harkonnen sounds very different from all the stuff that's on Arrakis, which is different from the stuff on Kaladin. Uh, it's it's a remarkable piece of music uh, that he's been able to achieve here, and it's the first thing that I wanted to praise because it's easily the best thing about this movie. For sure. What did you think of the score, Dave? Uh, I thought it was more subdued in a way. Like it's not like one of those scores where you can just you know hum the theme song. Yeah. Like it. it, it yeah, it does a good job of you know, doing what needs to be done for where it is. And yeah, there's the, the little themes throughout. Like I noticed, you know, the Bene Gesserit they have their own sort of unique theme. And like when like when we're meeting with the Reverend Mother and. You know, it's louder, but when they're also talking about Bene Gesserit things, just Paul and Jessica later in the film, you you still hear a little hint of that. You know, like their presence is still there. So, yeah, like I don't think it's quite like, you know, The Dark Knight, where it's a you know, big bombastic and, you know, you can instantly think of that theme music and identify it with with the movie. But it's, it, it's yeah, it, it does a good job of holding the whole thing together without sort of being too overwhelming. 
it's almost like the exact opposite of the interstellar score where it's just like trying to crush the scene into powder in front of you as you watch Matthew McConaughey cry. Ah, <laughs> uh, but it, but it also fits that movie too, which is kind of odd. I, I mean, I love both of these scores actually. I, I, I have a real soft spot for interstellar. I love that movie. So Mark, if the good people out there want to hear what we're talking about and haven't actually seen the movie yet, do we have a link for them about something about a free streaming service? We do. We do. Let's get this out of the way. Just get this out of the way at the top. Yeah, it's fine. Um, we are giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited uh, service. You can download Hans Zimmer's score. You can download Hans Zimmer's score for just about anything. And the link for that is getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. You get your free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited series uh, service. Uh, if you like it, you keep it. You pay the monthly fee. It's comparable to Spotify or Apple Music. You know, you cancel it. No fuss, no muss, no contracts, no pains in the butt. All right. David, what did you think of the movie? I loved it. I, I left the theater wanting to go back in and, you know, watch it all over again. Like probably my, my biggest singular criticism of the film was that it ended and we are going to have to wait two more years, you know, to see what happens next. Yeah, one of uh, my one of my brothers said that when they got to the point they were cutting, his immediate thought was, you know, I could have sat here for another two and a half hours and just watched the rest of this and been quite happy. Yeah, and and the end it is very much like watching the Lord of the Rings special edition extended cuts and getting to the end of the first disc where, you know, I now pronounce you the fellowship of the ring. And then, you know, the story continues on disc two. That is pretty much like the end of the movie. It just kind of, you know, we, you know we, 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 we've, hit, we've hit the marker in the story, you know, cut to credits. Uh, but like, certainly I think this is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. I went to see it in IMAX, which it is totally meant to be seen on. I would almost joke that this is like, you know, big ramps, the movie. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. But like, certainly like, like the ornithopters, like it, it's bugged me ever since the first Dune movie that, you know, they've never been able to manage ornithopters quite right. You know, it, for those listening, you know, an ornithopter is a flying machine that flies by flapping its wings. So to see those finally brought, brought to the screen, looking good. Uh, like the way that they show their operation, the sound effects and how they handle, it's just, you know, a, a nice fantastical piece of technology that, that really looks good. Um, so it was nice to see that brought together. Uh, like, yeah, like all I really have are sort of small little picky things. I thought like the, the city of Arakeen on Arrakis looked pretty much desolate. You know, like nobody lives here, uh, which, which I kind of thought was a bit, it's strange, like you, you, where you the have food like a, is. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, like you, you have the, you know, like the locals at the front gate fence, whatever of uh, of the palace. I kind of just felt like you know, these are probably the only people who actually live in the city. They're mm -hmm. just you know, it's like the palace, these guys at the fence, and then it's just empty buildings for, for as far as the eye can see. Uh, but again, we're at the nitpick level. Um, but yeah, every. It was almost entirely accurate to what I remember from the book. Uh, the casting just brilliantly well done. I think everyone played their character incredibly well. Uh, you know, like the the sandworms look great. The you know the Muad'Dibs, the little rabbit mice on Arrakis, you know they look you know exactly as they should. I, just all the little details 
are there. I don't know if Weta worked on this, but you know, it looks like they did. So if they didn't, then that's a huge compliment. Uh, the shield effects are like they are yeah. described in the book, and even sort of the use of oh, color thank, was. Thank heavens, the shields are like that, and not the eighty four. Yeah, I mean, technology at the time, but yeah, I I know, I know what you mean, and, and the they were used really the, well. The, the light shimmer that's described in the book would have actually been easier to replicate on film in nineteen. Yeah, in if that's if that's what it's supposed blocks. to look like, I don't know why David Lynch went with the Gumby blocky method that he did. I mean, it's it's yeah. a choice, but it's an odd one if all you're talking about is a light shimmer. Because he's David well, Lynch. I don't, yeah, I don't know why David Lynch is kind of like the key words to discuss the nineteen eighty four. <laughs> movie but uh but it's yeah key, it's you can use that to discuss anything lynch has done i don't know why david lynch i think one day yeah. we have to have like a mass therapy session surrounded uh surrounding dark highway but that's a story for another day yeah you know, um you know george lucas wanted david lynch to direct return of the jedi could you imagine that would have been a very different yeah that would have been a very different thing <laughs> that the, the, the job Jabba, palace would have scarred children for life Yes. <laughs> yes, it would have. But on, yeah, all, 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 yeah all, all the art design I thought was really good. A lot of the little details that you'd pick up from the books were there. Like It is very obvious that uh, Denis Villeneuve really is a long-term fan of the books and made, and really wanted to do to do it all justice. Uh, like, like the only other sort of real thing I could critique it is the, the whole bit about Paul's grandfather being a matador that wasn't or in, into being a matador as a hobby, that wasn't really in the book as near as I could tell, unless it's in any of the supplementary material. And uh, did, it probably, really bug, oh, did it really bug you a lot? It didn't really bug me. It was just like, oh, hey, that you know, I don't remember that from the book. That's just okay. something that's been added in. Uh, the one thing that did kind of bug me was when they mentioned Jessica had Paul as a boy uh, because she wants to create the Kwisatz Haderach. That was not in the book in the book no. she had him as a boy because duke leto wanted a son yeah like the bene Gesserit plan was she would have a girl and they would wed that girl to the harkonnen heir to end the feud between the houses and further their plans on getting to the quizots Haderach. but jessica in defiance of that you know she had a, a son to be the heir to the to to, to the house so well, let's let's talk about that you know sure it, why do you think david they changed it from the source material what do you think uh, is the perp is the is the craft cinematic purpose of that? My theory, and this might be a bit uh, a bit sort of cynical, is like you know we we have this problem with Hollywood and the entertainment industry right now is nobody wants to risk new IP. They always mm -hmm. want something established, and a lot of the popular IP right now is very old. You know, like mm -hmm. Dune is you know from like the sixties or somewhere in there, I think. So, you know, it was a different time and, you know, diff, you know, different sort of politics, identity yeah. representation, all that stuff. So, you know, when you're, so we kind of run into the problem of you, they, they want to adapt this old material, but they also want to make it progressive and inclusive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, none of those things on their own are bad, but it, 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 it can kind of cause some issues where, you know, this story was perfectly acceptable, you know, 50 years ago, but now, you know, there's different sort of perceptions around these things. You know, like you sort of saw it where like, you know, they did the whole, uh, the race bending and gender bending with, uh, Liet Kynes, the uh, mm -hmm. Imperial naturalist, the, um, 
the planetologists. Yeah, and you know that was made a big deal in the marketing, and you know there were people like, oh no, they've you know they've ruined the character, rah 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 rah, you know, rabble rabble rabble. Character di- the character dies at the end of the book anyway after wandering into the desert. Who cares? Yeah, that was kind of my reaction. It's like, okay, they they show up, they give some exposition on how Arrakis works, and then they're killed. Like this is this is not a stunning and brave change. <laughs> you know, like you know, if if they, if they had you know race bent Paul, that would have been a big. Like okay, there, there's price years. If they had gender bent him, then like they would have like had to like Nothing rewrite works. the entire story. Like yeah, e- literally everything has to change at that point. Yeah. So so I think that there was a sort of thing to sort of try and smooth over the edges and the whole like I'm I don't know if we'll get into this the whole like you know white savior narrative where if you oh, if you actually get into like the later it. yeah like if you get into the later books. You realize mm-hmm. it's more of a critique of that. Well, it's more of a critique of the idea of like the charismatic leader and the the dangers of that. Mm-hmm. So I think that that so this is a huge way of me basically saying to get back to the original point here. I think that they changed that line in because having Jessica change the you know the sex of her baby for the love of her man might be perceived as like yeah, you know, well, the patriarchy asserting dominance over sure. the woman, you know, whereas well, now it's like, Oh, it was her choice. She did it for her own reasons. You know, girls, right. we run this mother. Right. Just no. kind of like the Bene Gesserit. Right. Women don't do anything for men. I understand that, which is 2021 and no wife, no girlfriend does anything for their loved ones. It's, you know, they are independent, uncaring, uncaring, unfeeling, undoing Om- uh, people and that uh, never omnicompetent people who. Yeah. Do and they, simply permit our buffoonery to exist. Right, right. And they, yeah. they need our semen, maybe. That's it. And they would yeah, never do now. anything for the love of their husband or boyfriend or whatever. I understand yeah. that. Yeah, but but it, I do kind of funny because you look at the Bene Gesserit and these are, it is an insanely powerful force within the Dune universe and it is all women. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, so even back then, like you could, you could do this. Oh, I mean, they're doing the HBO miniseries or series about the Bene Gesserit. Right. So like, I don't really think you needed to go that far if that was the motivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but I tend to think it might've been more to do with it's, I haven't read the, I've mentioned this. I haven't read the book, which is a bit of a blind spot in my You've read everything. Have you not read Dune? I have not read everything. I've read a lot of things. My understanding is you've read everything in Alexandria's library before they burnt it down. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Uh, But the entire notion of the prophecy of the Kwisat Hazarat, and I'm going to butcher that. I'm never going to pronounce that the same way twice, so I apologize. You won't be any worse than I was on the 84 review. Yeah, don't worry. You're covered, Robert. (laughs) It... It comes. I, I don't. I don't think it comes completely out of left field in the book, but it's not. It's not as I think they're trying to weave that into the story earlier to to avoid it being a being a, a thing that comes out of that comes out in the third act. Like, oh no, you've created the savior of our people, and that you've created the messiah. Like, wait, what? <laughs> it's <laughs> just Paul. Like, no. So trying to. Yeah trying to smooth the narrative over a little bit in that particular respect, I think. Yeah. Is... Yeah. I mean, this is like a picky, it's not exactly the way it was in the book criticism. And that's a testament to how good the film is, is that's the level of criticism I'm having to go with to go after it. Cause it, it gets so, so much more right than it does wrong. And if this is the only Dune adaptation or this, if this is the last Dune adaptation we get, I'd be totally fine with it. It's, you know, like 99% perfection. I think the only, I think the only thing I was really missing 
and this will become a they're gonna have to deal with this in the second book or the second movie because this is kind of what gives paul all of his power Mm -hmm. he's not only got the benny jeseret foresight which is one of the things they've been building the the entire benny the one of the things the benny jeseret does in addition to traveling to different planets and planting messiah myths so that when future members of the Bene Gesserit show up, the people will be predisposed to helping them. Uh, not so on Arrakis, believe it or not. It was such a hell, it's such a blasted hellscape that whatever Bene Gesserit sister arrived there first, she actually said, no, the Bene Gesserit who arrives here is going to help you people. <laughs> Whereas for the most part, the others have been, you, know, you, when one of us, when one of the Bene Gesserit show up in the future at some point, you know, many generations later, you should give them all the help that you can. And this winds up taking different myths, taking the form of slightly different myths, depending on where you are. But on Arrakis, it was like, no, you people are screwed. We're going to help you. (laughs) But Paul not only has some, but their precognition, they've been blending bloodlines to help create that kind of foresight, the precognition thing. That's not, um, that's purely genetic, essentially. They put different bloodlines together to try and breed that into different people. He's also a mentat. Uh, well, not, not officially. Okay. Not, I mean, okay, sure. He doesn't have the tattoo. Like he's not been given the designation, but he has that ability. And that's what makes him such a powerful force. It's his ability to, for those of you who don't know, I suppose I should explain this. Yeah, we should explain what a mentat is. One of the big, one of the big conceits that is, that takes place in the Dune universe is there are no computers. Well, nothing sophisticated as far as computers go, at least. Yeah. There's just none of them. There was a, like no yeah. AI. Calculators not, are fine. Yeah, Base like your cell phone would not be allowed is kind of the long and the short of that, right? The contemporary cell phone would not be permissible under the I forget the name, but there was a big jihad that took place, and a group of religious fanatics wound up putting forth a decree that everyone agreed to that man will not you will not make a machine with the mind of a man or anything adjacent to it. So without computers. These large, uh, you know, multi-planetary kingdoms, uh, their mathematics are done by these mentats. These are people who, through the use of spice, can do vastly complicated mathematical equations in their head ra- rather quickly. Yeah. So, like, instead of making a computer think like a human, train a human how to think like a computer. That's basically by, a mentat. By giving it methamphetamines. Spice isn't meth. <laughs> it's close enough. Uh, that, it's just kind of like a drug that doesn't suck. Have you met people on meth? They don't think it sucks. Yeah, but yeah, but there there are certain other. Oh Celtic God, songs. guys! <laughs> pedantic, sure. pedantic one and pedantic two. Let's go. Uh, point being, Paul's ability to then not only see the future, but essentially perfectly predict how current actions influence the future, is what turns him into the Quizat Hazrat. He can perfectly predict the future because of this combination of knowing the future and extrapolating current events into their inevitable conclusions. So they have to deal with that in the next book at some point, and they might just have him overdose on Spice. Spice becomes basically the force for the Dune unit. Anytime you need something magical done, sure, Spice Spice is just sandworm shit, for the record. Like, I don't know if any of you picked up on that. <laughs> Big but spoiler. That, but that's all it is. And that's also why they can't terraform the planet, because the sandworms would then die and then you wouldn't have spice. And then the entire feudal intergalactic system collapses because you can't travel interstellarly anymore. 
Yeah, we, we, we can go very deep on this, but I think we'd save that for the second part where like most of the stuff will will be stated in the film. Yeah. Was there anything else about the film, David, that you wanted to talk about in terms of the craft? Uh, certainly the cinematography stood out most for me, like more so mm -hmm. than the music even. Like just there are some gorgeous, gorgeous oh, yeah. shots in this film. Like it, it is almost like every every frame of painting mm -hmm. sort of thing. It, it It is one of the most gorgeous films I think I've ever seen and... You know, like full you, you credit for that. You mentioned before, like you have to go see it in IMAX, and I'm not one to kind of beat people over the head about that. I think, I think when you see everything in IMAX, IMAX loses its uh, novel value. Sure. So yeah. for this one, I, and I joked, there was a girl I work with. I was like, you got to go see it on IMAX. She's like, why? It's on. I can watch it on my big TV at home on HBO Max. I'm like, no, 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 no. For Suicide Squad, you watch it at home. The yeah. little things, you watch it at home. Um, this you got to go see in an IMAX. This is an event picture to be seen on an IMAX screen. She was like, yeah. not, you know, not Dolby, not digital. This is one of those things you go to the movies to see in IMAX. Um, yeah, for that, I'd say that just because some of the shots are so big, you mm -hmm. lose sight of all the details yeah. in those shots. So having it be on that big a screen, you, that sort of allows you to take in just the scope of, of what's going on. Uh, Robert, what else about this movie did you like, dislike, what have issues with craft-wise? Uh, I mean, the casting and the acting is all really good. I want to give a couple of specific shout-outs, I suppose. Uh, let's start with Stellan Skarsgård as Baron Harkonnen. Ooh, guys, kind of steal back from you in just a, for sure. just a minute here. Yeah, another thing that they get wrong a lot in the adaptations is, is like the Baron's weight and uh, his like gravity harness and this one they made it more of a cybernetic implant which okay fine close enough but you you have the david lynch version where he's like literally flying around cackling like yeah exactly uh in yeah in in the second like in the sci-fi miniseries they restrained him a lot but he was still played by like uh, uh english character actor uh, Ian McNeese, I think his name is. He and, breaks. Uh, the, doesn't he break the fourth wall at some point? Like he murders well, someone, then looks at the at the camera that's positioned <laughs> somewhat oddly there's, in the corner. There's there's a bit of pantomime type acting in that where it's a bit over the top Saturday morning cartoon villain esque, but still a lot more serious than than the David Lynch version. Well, sure, um, that guy was a screaming infant. Yeah. But this one, yeah, like, uh, I mean, I'll let Robert talk about the performance more, but like in the book, like the gravity harness, like that doesn't make him fly. That just makes <laughs> him way, way less enough that he can actually walk around under his own weight. You know, like, like he still uses his legs to go get around. It's just, you know, he's kind of got this, you know, gravity thing, keeping his belly up. Um, so whilst they did have him still fly around a bit in this one, well, not so much fly, but float, it was used mm -hmm. to much better effect, I thought, yeah. like in a dramatic thing or when the when the Harkonnen forces are taking the, the palace back, you see him like floating over, you mm -hmm. know, the formation marching in. I'm like, okay, that's kind of neat. And even when they have him coming to uh, deal with Dr. Yue, like they, even just having him out of focus, you see the, like the big ominous blob coming towards you, like, Really, really well done use of that. Again, it's not 100% book accurate, but when when he does fly, well, it's yeah, used no. much more for for dramatic effect. Like you know, this this guy's a big deal. You don't want to mess yeah. with him. He's coming for you. 
He's given a when I say when I say he's given a lot of weight. That's not a fat joke about this guy, even though he is a very large person. Yeah, you know, he's when he shows up, you pay attention. He's got the presence about him, and you have Skarsgård, who's able to give that kind of gravitas to a performance, and who's got a, such a wonderful voice for this kind of character. Like mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. that all that all works so wonderfully well. Um. I wonder, I don't know if they'll get into it in the sequel or not, but just for the record, I suppose, uh, that character is a pretty violent pedophile in the books. Yeah, that, that might have been uh, taken out for uh, for I mean, the, yeah, more, the, more modern sensibilities, and I can't say I blame them. Well, it, it's not meant to be... It's meant to make him an even bigger bastard. Like, this is not something that's meant in, in any way to be a sympathetic trait. Yeah, the, closest, the Harkonnen are wholly irredeemable. We the closest we get to that in this, I think, is the the peop, If you look at the people who are attending him when he's in that oil bath at the end after surviving the assassination attempt, it's just enough to be a little unsettling. <laughs> yeah, they also don't like hair. True, at least in this version. Well, you know, you hire Dave Batista, <laughs> then it's, then that, that's kind of a concession you're going to wind up making. So, uh, Skarsgård, really great job. Um, I didn't dislike James Brolin. I, one of the few good things about the David Lynch movie, maybe the only good thing, is Patrick <laughs> St- Sir Patrick Stewart in this same role, that of Gurney Halleck. Mm-hmm. So, he, I think he did a perfectly fine job. Jason Momoa is Jason Momoa. He, he's the same character no matter what he does. Yeah, I thought he added a lot of, a bit of levity to the film that was kind of needed without yeah. going over the top. Like, he felt like a real person in this world still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his relationship with uh, Paul and Timothy Chalamet was uh, a real highlight, I think. You know, it's one of the few times when they both kind of let their hair down a little bit. They're very, in other circumstances, they're very formal for good reason. But around each other, like, okay, these are the people we joke around with. Like, th- these are... I mean, even that changes a little bit, and for good reason, when uh, Duncan realizes that Paul is now the Duke. Like, his demeanor shifts a little bit around that. Not totally, but enough, but he's the one who kind of recognizes, okay, you're the you're the man in charge now of this house. Mm-hmm. may mostly be wiped out, but you're still the man. And, you know, I'm not going to tease you about your muscle tone anymore. You're now the Duke. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I can joke about this with the Duke's son as we're training and getting ready, but when you're the when you take on that office then things change uh timothy chalamet i think does a perfectly fine job yeah you know, this is one of the they paul in the books i want to say is uh i don't think chalamet's the same age as paul but he's closer you know, he's certainly not um i forget the actor who played him in the david lynch film but who you know is uh that's kyle mclaughlin that's it who's you know been looked 35 since he was 12. <laughs> uh, so Chalamet does a perfectly fine job. Uh, I don't think there's a... Look, I think if you wanted to talk about the weakest performances that we get here, it's probably some combination of Batista and Momoa. And that's largely because those characters are meant to be all that they are. Yeah. yeah there's not so much to work with. I don't think that's yeah. a performance issue. I, th- I, I feel like we sometimes say, oh, they th- this actor gives a less than stellar performance or an uninteresting performance when they're giving you exactly what the director wanted from them in those performances. It may not 
be reaching you. It may not be dynamic or, you know, particularly exciting, but it's what was called for in the scene or it's what's called for in that particular characterization. It's like saying, you know, David Batista's Drax doesn't emote enough. Okay, but that's not the way the character's written. He does a fine enough job of doing that character. And, yeah, I, and Raban I'm picking, is. I'm picking yeah. at this because we had to. We had. We talked about this even with like Army of the Dead. Was it Army of the Dead? Is that the name of it? Zack Snyder. Yeah. Fuck me, Rob. <laughs> Rob doesn't remember anything we do past the day. I <laughs> hold on. Like you just bring up a. If your point of connection here is you want to talk about Dave Batista, then yes, it's Army of the Dead. Thank you. Um. I couldn't. Remember. I just want to make sure I had the right movie. There's so many of these goddamn zombie movies out there with the, you know with the, with the words army and dead in them. Um, but like his character in Army of the Dead was very understated, kind of monotone. It was just sort of a you know no bullshitting soldier trying to get a thing done. And you know, and we were like Dave Bautista's perfect for that. So if you are writing a character who you need him to be a physical presence, but not particularly emotive. And that's the kind of performance he gives you. Um, and you, you know, you got the perfect actor for it. You can't then turn around and say like, Oh, the weakest performances are Dave Bautista and Jason Momoa doing exactly what they were told to do. I don't Yeah, Raban is not really much of a deep character with a lot no. of rage. He's either angry or killing people. That's pretty much all he's there for. And then tries to cheat in his duel with Paul at the conclusion of the book. Uh, you're thinking of Fade. Yeah, Fade Fade is a bit, you need a bit more of a, of a, of a, you know, nuanced performance for that. But I don't think he's going to get introduced until the part two. Was Fade yes. staying in the David Lynch version? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the Baron has like two, two heirs, like Raban and who's the oldest and Fade, who's the youngest. And Raban's an idiot brute and Fade's more, you know, smart and uh, devious. Fade wore speed Fade wore Speedos. That's what I remember. Yeah. Dude, Fade, <laughs> Fade wore Lightspeed briefs from uh, from Futurama. Like, that design is almost identical. It's a bit uncanny. Um, do you want to you wanna sort of take another stab at the performances or, or what here, Robert? Uh, I think the last thing I want to touch on was a little bit of a disappointment for me was some of the fight choreography. And this is purely theoretical on my end, more than more than me saying it's bad. Let me be clear about that. I don't think it, I don't, I don't object to it in that particular sense. Uh, it's all, it's more or less well choreographed. It's well shot. Like the action is easy enough to follow. That, that's not my gripe here. A bit more my, and I don't even know how you do this. I need to preface this with what I'm about to say with that. The entire fighting style that takes place, that is used in the Dune universe is a, I find a very fascinating contrast the existence of those shields that everyone wears utterly is why everyone uses blades the shields will repel anything traveling above a certain speed and this renders gunfire utterly obsolete because all the bullets just bounce off them you can't use lasers against them because if you use a laser gun when it hits what you get is a feedback loop that essentially sets off a small nuclear explosion so i don't look I don't remember the, I have not read the book. I don't know the exact science or the logic that they use, but the point being that these beams of these laser beams would be coming at them at such high velocity and intensity it would then be reflected right back to the person using the gun. And along the way, you would get a cascading uh, failure. You would, you get an energy cascade. I don't know yeah. exactly. Basically it's magic space technology. That means, yeah, everyone has to fight with knives now. Yeah. So, so everyone uses bladed weapons because you can get around the shield's defenses with that. 
you do this by going by traveling slowly instead of quickly. And I find this results in a fighting style that that is almost contradictory. You need fast blocks but slow attacks. That's the only way you are able to penetrate the shield because if you move too fast, your knife just bounces off. And I don't. The movie pays lip service to this with uh, Gurney when he's uh, when he's training Paul in the beginning. I just don't think it was fully realized, especially when you get into some of the bigger action sequences. It's very clearly that there's it's pretty clear that there's no real difference in speed between any sort of attack, the ones that bounce off or the ones that go through. It's more it seems more a function of where you're aiming on the body than the speed of your attack. And that it just feels like a lost opportunity to me because I find that such a fascinating thought experiment about what you know, what would that look like as a I mean again when you get when you get tied up and you're grappling then sure everything's slow but if you're fighting you know a little bit more at distance what is what does that look like and sadly we I don't think they quite cracked the code on that and to be clear I don't really know even what I don't even know what it would look like uh, it was just a little bit of a disappointment to see it be fairly standard knife fighting fare for a major Hollywood film in 2021. So my thoughts brief as they are on this, I think it's a well-made feature. I think it looks gorgeous. For me, Dune is definitely a more, a more visually pleasing experience than it is a dramatic experience. Um, maybe at the end of the second film, I'll feel a little bit more favorably towards the drama. I think the, the problem is I can't help but compare it, compare it to the David Lynch version, which we just saw. So and talked about and there's a whole podcast on it. So the whole time I'm thinking this is so much better than the David Lynch version version. But I have a sneaking suspicion if I just watch this in isolation, having never seen the David Lynch version or having forgotten about it because I'd seen it so long ago. I don't know if I would have enjoyed this movie as much. And I'll, you know, I'll tell you why. It one of the guys from Critically Acclaimed made made this point. I think somebody else did on Twitter, where your your penultimate scene, your your conclusion, your um, your big blow off at the end of this movie is a knife fight between a character you just met and the hero. <clears throat> There's, you know, it it fails to really build towards anything. It's sort of a slow falling of dominoes, and the movie just sort of <clears throat> kind of abruptly ends. And I know it's not really abruptly, but it is kind of in the middle of a longer story which is the intention. I get that. I don't want to get into sort of a, again, a pedantic debate over the, this particular film structure. I get this as part one, but <clears throat> I want to compare it to probably the best example of this, which is Lord of the Rings. Every single one of those had a conclusion that could make those movies stand on their own. So did the Hobbit for that matter. You know, um, as, as bad or as good as you think the Hobbit movies are almost every single one of them, uh, had a very definitive end that if you just watched it by itself as a movie, you feel like, okay, whatever they were, whatever conflict they were dealing with in that one two hour motion picture was more or less resolved by the end of it. The second one is a little wonky with the dragon, but even then the dwarves were trying to kill the dragon. They just failed. And then in chapter three, they see, you know, what happens next here. You have the slow sort of disintegration, you know, disruption of the of the house atreides which ends with paul going off into the desert you know to lead the rebels against the empire and um, fairly close and but that's not what the movie was about necessarily so for me in that sense it lacks a little bit of dramatic depth 
Um, I understand it's probably following the events of the book, but I didn't feel in any way satisfied by the end of it. I just kind of wanted it to be over so I could leave because it was a long movie. And I had my daughter halfway asleep through it and my son who was bouncing in the chair <laughs> because he was having a difficult time with the denseness of this feature. Um, but yeah, like I said, for me, it was like by the, by the time it was over, um, I was like, okay, this, this almost feels like the first act of a story, not a full film. And I think that's a legitimate complaint about any film. If you fail to introduce a conflict and then resolve it by the end, I think you've missed a major pillar of filmmaking. And, and that's, I think, Dune's biggest detriment. Go ahead, Robert. I think the way – I don't disagree with you. I think the way you could have fixed this, potentially mm – -hmm. You would need it would need to be a little bit longer. But oh you, God! Hang on, <laughs> not not much, just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Another ten minutes, like something okay. like that. We're not talking about a lot here. What do you want to cut, Robert? What do you want to cut to get that ten minutes? Do we do we cut Stanley Tucci with the bomb? First of all, yes, I would love to cut Stanley Tucci, especially <laughs> if he's carrying a bomb. Go on. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. I know. I made that joke. You did. On that show. It deserves to be made all the time. It's a good then, joke. Like, unironically, I think like two weeks later, uh, that episode of the old Batman series was on a local television station here, and my mom was watching it, and I walked in on her doing so and about threw a fit. <laughs> it's the movie, by the way. It's oh, the that's Batman, it. Sorry. It's the Batman 66 okay. movie. Go on. How do, you, how, how do you fix my major complaint of this movie is that it does not resolve any conflicts, and what, and what its um, conclusatory act doesn't really match up with anything that had happened in the rest of the feature it's almost disconnected i think what you need you would probably need a couple of other sequences we have the one where again the baron harkonnen is told that house atreides is dead and yay it's over now we can go back to a, now we can go back to you know the business at hand i think i needed something between harkonnen and the emperor mm -hmm. like we, we could introduce that guy a little bit yeah, he's just an he's a name only at this point. We could have had something with him, and I well, you can't resolve the sen you can't resolve the big central issue here because Paul's plot for revenge is going to take a lot longer to deal with. Right. I think what you could have done was end it instead of you know with Zendaya going. This is only the beginning as he starts learning about this new culture. Maybe get him a little bit further into it. He learns a he learns. Hang on, he learns yeah. a couple of things. Mm -hmm. I, I don't care what you choose from their culture. Pick something small. Well, they showed they showed that Fremen can ride worms. Yeah, and we and we've seen what a worm can do. Well, I think Robert's making kind of a brilliant point. Is that I wish we had spent more time with Zendaya's people. My daughter, in her typical ten-year-old feminist fashion, was like, "My favorite character in this movie was Zendaya," and I looked oh, at her. Of course, like, he had was. two minutes of screen time. Seven. <laughs> Look at the Twitter, Fred. She had seven minutes of screen time. Uh, sorry, seven minutes. But that, but that is my. Yeah, a, I don't point care thing. about Zendaya as such. We don't get to know those people, and they're an integral part of this narrative. I, I think we're again. We're clearly going to get more of that in the second book. In the second movie, mm -hmm. I think we needed a bigger. I think we needed just a little bit more of it here, and yes. I think we needed. We needed at that point, Paul to announce his intention mm -hmm. right like at the moment he's going with the fremen to live deliberately like that, that's right. the that's as far as we know 
I think we needed a a bigger declaration of him, even if it's just to his mother. Like, mm -hmm. well, we did have that uh, vision of the future where he showed sort of him as a Fremen, like his eyes had turned blue within blue at that point, and sort of showing him standing on the ship with Chani by his side, and you know the Fremen on Caladan hoisting the banders, calling his name, saying, "You know, there will be a galactic." No one's disagreeing that they don't or, that they don't sort of point at things. I think what Robert and I are saying is structurally, narratively, these things needed to happen earlier on in the mm -hmm. film. You need the you need to get to know the Fremen more. Zendaya needed more for her. You know, Zendaya's line about this is just the this is this is like Danny Zugo from Greece. This this is in the end, this is only the beginning. And I kind of felt like it was a similar sort of tone as I think it's uh Faramir. You know, like mm -hmm. I think you and I get you know know each other a little better now. What the fuck? How? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like like the book, from? the book I pretty much divide into like three main sections. You have the first mm -hmm. part, which is yeah, we Atreides moved to Arrakis. Right. We know there's a trap, and you're just waiting for it to be sprung. The trap is sprung. Everyone dies. Paul and Jessica escape, and I think Duncan that, and that uh, Gertie one, as well. That is the one yeah. advantage the David Lynch version has over this. It gets there a lot faster. Yeah. Then you have part two, which is Paul and Jessica wandering the desert for way too long, which thankfully right. was not too long here. And then you get third part. You know, they're accepted by the Fremen. We learn the ways of the Fremen, and Paul turns them into the new army that will eventually lead to his, you know, the, the completion of his revenge. I you feel know, like that... We needed to have knocked out House Atreides in the third, in the first like third, like thirty to forty-five minutes of the movie. I feel like maybe I'm off on my times here. Maybe that is when it happens. It felt a lot longer. Go ahead, Robert. I, I think I think you could salvage this even if after we we get to the Fremen, we do something there again. We can do something smaller there. It doesn't need to be huge. Mm -hmm. And then, I just a little bit of like Paul looking. To his, he could even sign this to her if we wanted to be subtle about it. But just Paul going, we can use we can use these people to deal with the Harkonnen. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, I I need something that is very clearly pointing that Paul is not just here to live out his days happily as a Fremen. Like, no, this is my ticket. This is my ticket to get even. Yeah, he's got to arm the Ewoks to battle the rebels. Yeah, the, well, like, the I, I need, I just need something like that. Even if it's, and again, just between him and his mother, even just mm -hmm. like these people are going to be our instrument of war, and we are going to settle things with House Harkonnen. And then, because again, we're gonna we're gonna jump two years into the future for mm -hmm. the next movie. So that being kind of the impetus for our time jump, we now know that Paul is not just here living as a hippie. Right. Like he's he's got goals, he's got plans, he is active within the structure of the film instead of simply being here a bit more passively. Yeah. I I like the I I'm glad they're splitting this into two. Oh, and yeah. I know and I know it's it, it's probably hard to figure out what is your Helm's Deep moment going to be in this movie especially if there really isn't one. Um yeah. in the book. So I I and I get all that. The I, well the Helm's the Helm's Deep moment is the second the second half of the book like <laughs> well that's the and that's the problem like when you're sitting down and you're trying to adapt this thing you still have to remember you're making a movie and movies have conclusions you can't just be like okay i understand you know it would be like if the entire like lord of the rings you know was like the whole first movie was just getting to rivendell 
and they're like, okay, and you are the fellowship of the ring. Roll credits. And you're like, wait, what the wait, what? You yeah, know? it's it's they're they're stuck between a rock and a hard place with this because yeah, right. like we no. you know to do the story justice, we need two films, but you know, no one's going to sit through that long and the studio's not willing to bankroll part two right away until part one is done. Mm-hmm. And you know, like just the structure of the book, you sort of have your big action set pieces, you know, the one at the beginning where you have you know, mm-hmm. the Harkonnen siege of Arakeen. And then you have the, the one end. at the end, which, you know, I'm not going to say due to spoilers. And it yeah, so, so this is why, yeah, like you have but this, this. But this is why Peter Jackson did things like invent the, you know, the, you know, the Hobbit river ride, you know, where they're going yeah. through the barrels and it's like an exciting action sequence, which everyone's like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Except if you don't know the book and you're just looking for a fun movie, that's an awesome action sequence. And it's yeah. there because without please, it, you've got please, nothing. Please, please, come to our, come check out the ride at Universal Studios. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I totally agree. Like you, you, after seeing all the big action of the fall mm-hmm. of Arakeen, and then at the end we have Paul fights a guy with a knife. Right, as, that you yeah. haven't met before. It's yeah, really and they and they, I think they they try and do a, it up a bit. Or this is you know like, this is the point where he has to take his first life, and will he be able to mm-hmm. do it? Uh, which so, is but another... even still, it's it doesn't. Yeah, it it just doesn't match the stakes of what we had seen so far. Like I know, like they made the end point. Paul and Jessica have found safety. You know, everyone thinks they're dead, so they're not being pursued anymore. And the Fremen, they know how to keep them alive in the desert. So you know, we we have we have found a safe refuge. But yeah, it's 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 not a great grandiose end, and it just kind of fitters off. And I, I I agree, like I agree, like that is the weakest part of the movie is that the ending doesn't really give you a solid ending. Yeah, I I would have been I think it would have been slightly more satisfactory if we just get Paul swearing revenge, like if he makes abundantly yeah. clear. No, let's hunt some orc. Yeah, like yeah. Some, something like that. Like okay, this yeah, might cause... take some time. But we're gonna. I'm gonna balance the ledger here. Like, yeah, because there's a bit where uh, where Jessica is saying, you know, we need to get off off this world. We need to get back to like the the lands or like the the council of houses, so you know we can expose the emperor's crimes and bring him against us. I mean, like, look, your your whole house is like three people now. Like, you know, you're, <laughs> you know, no one's gonna be taking you seriously. I'm sorry. Like, but I digress. And then, yeah, it's Paul says, no, no, I, you know, I know my path is here into the desert. If he sort of said, no, like our vengeance or our justice is not gonna lie with getting back into space and with the other houses, our justice lies here the with system. the Fremen and their struggle against the Harkonnen. Yeah, the system will not help us at this point. But I think we've got something here that can circumvent it. Yeah. But again, like, if we're at this level of criticism, I think it kind of s- says that, you know, 90% of this film is solidly good. Look, I'm I'm not saying it's a bad film, but I yeah. but there are narrative and structural problems that are problematic. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I think this is a it's it's good to have a variety of opinions on something like this, like people who know the books, kind of know the books, and books are for burning. You know, yeah. and it's because I can't, because you're like, but but Mark, this shit in the book that's going to happen, you have to be patient. I'm doing my best <laughs> not to do that, but yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, this is just they took the book and shoot, cut it at one bit, and that's the end. Because this was the, and, and yeah. I keep bringing this up, but that was the problem with Lord of the Rings that people had. It was just like you know there were people who hadn't read the books, um, that accepted the films for what they were, yeah. and even complained they were a little long. 
um, and had multiple endings yeah. and such. And then there were people who read the books that were like, where's Tom Bombadil? You know, yeah. It just goes on and on. Yeah, yeah. My issue with yeah. like the well, in, my issue with the well in the book thing is it's it's mm. when you don't understand something that's happening in the movie and mm -hmm. it says, oh well, it's explained in the book. Well, yeah, then there's a problem. Yeah. yeah whereas here it's just like yeah, like the proper ending of the story is in the books right. because they only adapted half the book. This if we saw, if if we sort of sorry last point if we could fast forward into 2023 when part two comes out and you watch part one then part two then it'd be like oh okay yeah i actually saw the full story here right but and i've said this before one the art of adaptation is not merely taking page by page line by line and yeah. you know and storyboarding them there, yeah. there's an art to adaptation and some things are not just not going to make the screen some things are going to mm -hmm. get invented at a whole cloth i know for some people who are really concrete about this sort of thing, inventing something out of whole cloth and inserting it into a, into a movie um, that isn't in the, the source material is heresy. It's, you know, but I have, I have news for you people. The Bible isn't the Bible either. That's been <laughs> rewritten and shit's missing from it. So let's calm down about, you know, the art of- Good the night, everyone. It's been fun knowing you. <laughs> um, I don't know, read, read your history of the Bible, people. Yeah, um, look, as the only religious guy here on this particular oh, panel. <laughs> yeah, the the look, there's a there's a reason there's 18 different versions of the Bible. Some of them chose to keep different things. Second thing, I, I and this will be the last thing we'll move on, is it's not just not every line of di not every line of a book gets you know gets storyboarded. It's also you have to remember, and I and I say this all the time: movies are not books, and books are not movies. And this is the pro this is the argument I get into with comics people too is there's an art to making a movie there are things that have to happen in a movie that you don't have to do in the written word you know there are things um there are things that happen on a television show television is structured differently than than feature length motion pictures it's 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 well it used to be <laughs> it's nitty-gritty stuff but it's it's but it, but this is sort of the the essence of film criticism what is film Right? It's not a book. It's not a comic. It's not a television show. It's a very specific thing. And it can be done a variety of different ways. And my problem with Dune Part 1 is that in some cases it doesn't quite hit the bullseye the way that it should have. I think people, you know, Robert's ongoing incessant criticism that there's no movies for adults in, in, you know, in cinema anymore. Very few. <laughs> well, judging um, from the reaction of your son this is definitely a movie for adults <laughs> uh-huh um i can't but... tell you i can't tell you how nice it was to watch this movie and not feel like i'm having to deal with someone trying to talk to a five-year-old but but i think then that unfair unfairly inflates the criticism of this movie everyone's just sort of taking a deep sigh and going oh finally a movie that doesn't talk down to me great that doesn't make it perfect either and that's sort of my own my, my big issue with the conversation that's come out of Dune is like it's a mass. No, it's not a fucking masterpiece. It's just not. It's really good. It's not a masterpiece. It's by no means perfect. Now I imagine part two will probably wind up more deserving of uh, high praise given how yeah. they given what they have left to adapt and how they can structure it as far as film goes. Yeah, I like mean, for me, this is this too. is our yeah this is our third kick at the can here. Like this is the <laughs> third attempt to adapt this book to the screen. I'm not including Yodorovsky's Dune. Oh, come on! I, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not downplaying Yodorovsky's Dune. It just it never got made. Like it didn't get part past pre production. So you know, sorry. Like there's no movie to watch from from Yodorovsky other like than the no, documentary. Like there's but, no Gambit. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah. So this is this is our third 
kick at the can. And this is the one that has done miles, miles better than anything else. And it comes greatly close. And yes, I agree due to the circumstances of its production, you know, they weren't willing to go for, you know, for two movies right off the bat. So that was the price that had to be paid. That was the gamble Villeneuve made. And as a fan of the source material, I can handle that. Like I'm willing to pay that price to get what we got. You know, and, and especially knowing that this will continue on to be finished in the end. And yeah, like if, if you're not a uh, familiar with the source material, yeah, I can totally see how, how it doesn't work for you. Like, and you know, then we'll get a and look, and then we'll get a five hour super cut re-release. Oh, I hope. Yeah. All right. You guys ready me to move on? Uh, let me think real fast. Come on, I need to poke at the copyright gods. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get us in trouble one of these days, the way you do that. Um, <laughs> yes, coming soon to all of my podcasts. No more copyrighted music. Is there anything else I wanted to say about this? Um, I think all in all, it's a good movie. It's visually stunning. This. The acting is all good. The music's great. This is definitely worth a watch. I mean, not if you're a 12-year-old, but hey, most or of the world... Or a 7 or a 10. Sure. <laughs> or younger is implied, but all right, if you want to be pedantic. You can join the club if you'd like. We have paperwork. You have to fill out triplicate. Uh, it's a really good watch. You know, I, I enjoy... This isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I enjoyed the vast majority of this film and viewing experience. And that's more than I can say for a giant chunk of what we've reviewed this year. It's no Donnie Darko. And on that note, <laughs> here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. My son has told me on several occasions that whenever he's watching one of my podcasts to go to sleep at night, um, whenever I play the Here Comes the Money thing, it scares the living shit out of him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do it again. Do it again. No, 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 no. no. Do it again. Just to, we're going to have to do this twice in a row at some point just to screw with Like, okay, here it comes. Ah, okay. It's done now. I can go back to trying to sleep. And then three minutes later. Uh, the other thing he said to me today, which I thought was really funny, was he was like, hey, that when the guy goes, are you ready? And then the other guy says, no. Is that James Bond yelling no? I'm like, no, that would be Steve Carell, Steve Carell from The Office. It's like, well, it looks like James Bond. And I'm like, I'm sure Daniel Craig hates you now. Speaking of hates you. Um, would, that would be I a would, very interesting take on the Bond series. <laughs> show him get, just show him get smart and we'll leave it at that. Moving on. That's a good movie. 165 million dollar budget featuring the, nothing featuring the great Kali is good shut up 165 million dollar budget with a box office of 223.2 million dollars as of this recording um it's day and date on hbo max so a lot of what uh this could have possibly earned got cannibalized in the the day and date thing unfortunately um as for, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure it won the weekend. I'll tell you in a moment. It did. Uh, yeah, Dune debuted at number one. It knocked Halloween Kills, which overperformed. Uh, can, we, can we just talk for one second about the 70% drop to Halloween Kills? <laughs> Good Lord. Well, I mean, look. We all, that, hold on, that hold was on. All, No, wait. That was also day and date on Peacock. It was not going to survive 
Yeah. You know, one well, being cannibalized the way that it was, two, another big feature in the immediate weekend. Like, uh, if October were any more crowded, it would bust its pants. That's true, but one, Peacock is still desperately trying to be taken seriously as a streaming option because mm -hmm. no one do no one takes it seriously as a streaming option unless you're one of the diehard abused cultists who still consider the <laughs> WWE to be worth your time. You're going to upset somebody on Twitter saying shit. Yeah, hold on. L let me rephrase. So no, that's no, no. Robert Winfrey at RadelectionBroadcasting.com. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, no. L hold on. Well, let me do this. Let me, let me do this properly then. One of the brain-dead, much-abused cultists who thinks any professional wrestling is worth your time. Let's not R-O-B-E-R-T-W-I-N-F-R-E-E. -E -E no, 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 I don't even care about that. I'd like to remind everybody that Robert writes for 411mania.com, who I specializes do. in professional wrestling coverage I do for not, over hold, 20 years. I do not specialize in it. No, they do. They do, yes. 411 is primarily known for that. And mm -hmm. they, look, I cover it when they ask me to. You want, my, you want to know a dirty little secret about that? I don't watch professional wrestling unless I'm paid to cover it anymore. I don't. And the people who read your stuff pick that up. All right. Um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, I res I love that they choose to read what I write. So I thank them very much for that and so weirdly, my Halloween disillusionment. So weirdly, Halloween Kills was in like 22, something like that, more theaters than it was the previous weekend, despite being day and day on Peacock. That's that's a really bizarre thing. Anyway, yeah, 70% drop for Halloween Kills, which knocked it out of the number one spot. No Time to Die fell from two to three. Venom Let There Be Carnage, three to four. Ron's gone wrong. Wait a um, minute. Hold on. What cut off No Time to Die? Look at that. It's in oh, 600 wow. less screens. Yeah, that is really bizarre. That is... Um, yeah, that is really weird. Um, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, three to four. Ron's Gone Wrong debuted at number five. That this, was a, this was a write-down for Disney, which um, this, was an, this was an independent studio that signed a deal with 20th Century Fox, and Fox got bought by Disney. So this is yet another one of the tag-alongs that they had to put on screen and not anywhere else. And whatever it did, it was going to do, and it'll either be a write-down or... It's whatever for Disney. At this point, they're no longer... This was the only feature that was going to be distributed by 20th Century Studios. They're moving on to, I think, um, NBC Universal. I'd have to go back and look again. But yeah, they're, they're done with this. So this is a big who cares. From what I've been told, Ron's Gone Wrong is pretty good. Um, it it didn't, didn't really move people one way or the other. It's just an all right kids movie. Speaking of all right kids movies and significant drops in theaters, holy shit. So the Adams Family too fell from four to six and had seven hundred less theaters, uh, with a thirty-six point four percent drop in its uh, fourth week. The Last Duel, which Ronnie and I uh, reviewed, fell from five to seven. Yeesh. Yeah, yeesh is right. That's another big loss for Twentieth Century Studios. Uh, Shang Chi's in seven hundred less theaters, and it fell yeah, from six it's, to eight. Shang Chi's wrapping up its theatrical run. Yeah. Um, the French Dispatch debuted at number nine. You know, Wes Anderson is definitely one of those, like, anything that's done by Wes Anderson, film people go out and see his stuff. If, if you know, the theater market were at, at normal, it would have a fairly decent representation of theater goers. But in a market like this, the French Dispatch, you release it in theaters just to do it, and then people watch it at home. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's got its Oscar slot. Yep, it's got its Oscar slot. Uh, which, it will not, which it will not win. Because Han Wes Anderson winning an Oscar would be just the worst thing. Hansel Rosk uh, fell from 7 to 10. Free Guy, 11, uh, 8 to 11. Candyman, 11 to 12. Lamb uh, fell from uh, 9 <laughs> to 15. 
the rescue debuted at number 14. Um, that's weird. There's it doesn't seem like it it has it has no last week thing, but it looks like it's been out for three weeks. Huh. Mm. Becoming Castau Castau um, debuted at number 15. Jumping all the way down, 13 Fanboy 25, The Laws of the Universe, The Age of Elohim uh, 27, Minion, and not that Minion, the other Minion, spelled differently, uh, at number 31. Worldwide. Suspect to see some different shit here. Well, uh, the battle at Lake uh, Shangjin overtook High Mom as your top worldwide owner, uh, as the number one spot for worldwide box office returns at the moment. Yes, sir. Um, then, yep, Hi Mom is n- number two. And so we have the only two movies that broke 800 million worldwide for 2021 are both Chinese Chinaman movies. F9. I don't even know where those have, I don't think those have been released. Uh, Hi Mom at this point should be on VOD if you're curious about it. But uh, F9, The Fast Saga, maintaining its spot at number three, Detective Chinatown number four. No Time to Die finally shot past Godzilla versus Kong. It is the only domestic movie to have cracked 500 million besides F9. So it took that long. So like F9 was June, no time to no time to die, October. Um to get past 500 million. Godzilla versus Kong got knocked to number 6 at 467 million. Shang-Chi which we debated on the last uh damn you Hollywood um may not make it to 500 million. It's it's slowing down pretty hard. It's currently at 422. Yeah, especially with the big cut in theater and its uh screens that it yeah. had that it suffered this last week. I don't think wasn't that the bit? Wasn't that what we said last week? Was okay. Do you think it breaks five hundred million? And we all kind of went, yeah, if it does, it's by the skin of its teeth. Yeah, it's. I I can't imagine at this point, especially with like the new the new thing in two weeks is going to be the Eternals, and that's going to and then Spider Man. So I mean, yeah, what, what this, breathing Shang- room does this have? At this point, Shang Chi's not even going to beat Kong ver- or Godzilla versus Kong. It doesn't seem to look that way. Um, I mean, maybe again, maybe it does, but it, we're talking. I don't. We, if it does, it's between 468 and 475. It's not going to go much beyond that. Um, and that is by the by the time we hit December 31st. Yeah. Um, Black Widow is number eight with 379. Venom uh, into the top 10 now at 353. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a wild success for Sony, I think, because that was a really pretty cheap budget, if I remember correctly. Uh, no, for- it wasn't cheap, but... It was it was significantly more expensive. I think it was significantly more expensive than the first one, but it's still a it is still a wild success. Um, ba, 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 ba. free guy at number ten at three hundred and thirty million, rounding out the top twenty, are a quiet place to Cruella Dune at two hundred and twenty three, which puts it right between Cruella and my country, and my parents. Uh, Jungle Cruise, Raging Fire, The Conjuring, Chinese Doctors, Cliff Walkers, and The Suicide Squad. With a rousing and disappointing 167 million. Hey, so hey quick, quick note on that. Speaking of disappointing, go one below the Suicide Squad. <laughs> okay, just every time, every show. Not every time, but this time. Okay, he's referring to Space Jam for those of you who are on traditional audio. Space Jam: uh, A New Legacy with a whopping total of 162 million worldwide. That movie has made less in box office returns than LeBron's salary for two years. So this weekend, um, in terms of competition, the big one is Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Um, on TV, you've got streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus, Paranormal Activity, Next of Kin. Um, do you have I mean, Paramount Plus, Mark? I do have Paramount Plus. Okay. Um, you have all the streaming services. I like that. <laughs> everything except Shudder. Um, 
I actually have Shudder. It, it, my, one of my brothers is a bigger horror fan than I am, actually. And he, it's now a thing that we have. I can watch Shudder material on Amazon Prime. There you go. So, yeah, I, just, just a quick thing, and then we'll, we can move on to the last segment. I, Dune seems to have picked up a lot of international fanfare. So I think it's going to keep doing well. It's like I said, it's at 223 million now. It doesn't have a tremendous amount of competition next weekend. So it'll probably, I imagine it'll retain the top spot next week. I don't, oh, I don't know about that, but I, I don't know. know. Does last night in Soho have that much buzz? I mean, Edgar Wright does. People liked his Cornetto trilogy. People tend to like Edgar Wright in general. Um, I think, you know, and last night in Soho has gotten a lot of um, publicity. You know, Anna, Anna, I think Anna Joy Taylor, who was in uh, that that the chess game show. Isn't People Taylor, like her. Isn't it Taylor Joy? Anna Joy something or other. Anna Taylor yeah. Joy. I think it's Anya Taylor Joy. Joy Luck Club. Joy oh. to the world. Oh, you're gonna annoy people. Hang on. <laughs> anyway, um, there's been heavy yeah, buzz. It's Anya Taylor Joy. I was close. Um, there's been a lot of buzz around this movie, and it's got a pretty, you know. In, well-enjoyed director so i think last night in soho becomes the number one movie of the weekend but i but i don't think dune takes a significant hit in its second weekend because i think it's got like heavy buzz now people like oh what's this dune movie all about for those who didn't see it in the first weekend i also think the words out that even if you watched it at home you should go see it on the on the big screen because that in and of itself is a novel event um but then by by the third weekend it's dead in the water but yeah because Eternals is going to make a giant crater. Yeah, Eternals is going to is going to make a giant crater, and then two. Weeks By later, which I mean fail miserably. Oh, shut the fuck up! Um, you know, <laughs> what are you taking, Chris Bailey's medicine? Look, um, I hold on. If I, I don't actually expect that, for the record, mm-hmm. but boy, do I hope so. And if I say it often, and and if I keep kind of putting it out there into the universe, maybe. Okay, you can uh, hope with one hand, shit in the other. Yeah, um, that's, look, that's very true. And then I can use what fell into my other hand to throw at the screen when I see Eternals. <laughs> well, what you do in Utah is your own business. Just make sure you use the right bathroom when you pee. Moving on. I most certainly, um, look, didn't I? Th- what was the movie I, you just said that I should whip? I should pee all over the. <laughs> we, didn't we do that bit last week or two weeks ago? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, so it's, it's Eternals in two weeks, and then in about a month from now is Ghostbusters, and by the mm-hmm. and by, by the end of that, you know, the, no one will be watching Dune. Yeah, no, November, for as packed as October is, November's no slouch either. November's got a lot of stuff. Um, not to mention the Thanksgiving holiday. It goes like this. Um, we've got Eternals on November 5th. Nothing of serious note on the 12th. But there's a lot of stuff that that um, is going to be on streaming. That's Red Notice, uh, Tick Tick Boom, uh, Home Sweet Home Alone. So um, the following weekend is Ghostbusters, and then right and then the day before Thanksgiving is Encanto and House of Gucci and Resident Evil because fuck me in my life, and then <laughs> um, and then December third uh, is nothing December, again. Hang on. That Resident yeah. Evil movie, isn't that on Netflix? No, that's going to be a feature. Yeah. Nope. Huh. Has there been a Wait, trailer for that yet? Yes. Do you yeah. not follow my Facebook page? Do you follow social media? Do you ever leave your you ever leave your house? Do you ever get off Twitter? Okay, I leave my house as infrequently as possible. I, the outside scares me. <laughs> and apparently I scare plenty of other people, so we just have a mutual understanding about this. Okay. And now... Uh, 
No, I haven't. I haven't seen the trailer for that, so I will look it up. Okay. Now they released it. It was it was in our chat that you're apparently ignoring, but people, but uh, dude, it was shared at least two or three times. You put a lot of stuff in there. As does Jason. As does yes. Andrew. As Look, there, uh, a there's a point being. <laughs> I'm not saying you didn't share it. I'm saying it got buried somewhere back. They tag you in everything now. And dude, uh, that, that note, hold on, that means nothing. I don't know why it means nothing, but it doesn't. You tagging me doesn't show it up. Doesn't help it show up any better. Rats. Well, this I is why I don't. I don't know why, but it doesn't. Maybe it's because you don't have a, like a smartphone device or uh, iPad. Probably. Or you're no, just doing it on your computer. I am doing it on my computer. That's true. All right, and now to scare the shit out of my son, the critical review. Are you ready? No, I said. And the critical review is brought to you by Grammarly. Ah, hot damn on a graham cracker. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly for to download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. If you know the name of the movie you'd like to see, press one. Sorry. Um, if you out there would like to have to have a spot to sponsor this particular segment or anything that we do here on the Rattletion Broadcasting Network, it, business inquiries are open. Please contact Mark. Nope, don't or, contact me. Contact Sean Garmer. All right, contact Sean Garmer for, at the W at the W2M network. And we are happy to read your ad copy and shill for you, as you can pretty clearly see. All right. So the audience, weirdly enough, liked this more than the critics did, which I which shocks the living shit out of me. No, nah, uh, you know what? I'm not surprised by that one actually. I think a lot of the critics might have keyed into some of the stuff that you and I, that we did here. Mm-hmm. And I think most of the audience, especially the kind that is so inclined to review this on Rotten Tomatoes more would have come away with a much more positive experience overall plus you you always have to have the jackass critics and that's part of why we have this segment um so speaking of jackass critics dune occasionally struggles with its unwieldy source material but those issues are largely overshadowed by the scope and ambition of this visually thrilling adaptation and the audience and the audience says all right so Andrew says that we're all screwing up the guy's last name. We might I purposely, I purposely avoided saying it for that reason. So Dennis the Menace's Dune looks like looks and sounds amazing. And once the admittedly slow building story gets you hooked, you'll be on the edge of your seat for the sequel. <sighs> Tell your story in the movie that you're making, not in the movie you intend to make. All righty. Matt Singer of Screen Crush. Top critic. He gets paid to do this. It's a paid gig. He's a professional. A spicy journey to an amazing future. Spice, do you get it? Do you get it? Subtle. You have to let me back into the call first, but... Uh... <laughs> I didn't realize you were out of the call. So, sorry, my camera froze. So, uh, <sighs> You hope you're proud of yourself. Thank you. Screen crush. <laughs> Spicy. Yeah. 
Puns are to critics what the sources are to philosophers. You ain't kidding. Tim Brayton of Alternate Ending. The best kind of popcorn movie with aspirations to a monumental tone and a feeling of grave importance to its razzle-dazzle. Okay, that's a very oddly constructed sentence. Uh, let's see here. Michael Clark of Epoch Times. Many have stated that Dune is unfilmable. As scattershot and inconsistent as Dennis the Menace's version is, he has proven it in... It, he has proven it in de- is indeed Jesus Christ. Version is he has proven it is indeed filmable. Sadly, this doesn't equate to riveting or engaging storytelling. It means it's just understandable and cinematic. One, you really needed to have another go at that particular sentence, buddy. <laughs> you really did. I'd like to think that I'm a learned man. I have several degrees, and you know, like. <laughs> I I shouldn't have that much trouble reading someone's two line review. No, you you really shouldn't. That's that's a terrible, terrible sentence. And really, I get that you're just trying to be pithy, but the crux of calling a, something unfilmable is not so much that it, it's too experimental to be put to film. If that makes any sense, it's more that it's impossible to appropriately convey the experience that the book is trying to get in an adaptation. There's plenty of Stephen King books that are considered unfilmable, some of which were proven very, very... That that sentiment was proven very wrong to great success by. Misery was long considered unfilmable. Uh, But the issue is not that we can't, you know, make an adaptation and film it. The issue is, how do we make this engaging for the audience? And if your point, sir, is that you still didn't find it such... You haven't been the entire crux of your argument that it was unfilmable hasn't actually been refuted. You've just not understood the point that you were trying to make. You just typed up buzzwords for Dune. Ian Thomas Malone of Ian Thomas Malone. You self-employed loser. You feel better. There, you you, you organ grinders monkey. Christmas comes early. (laughs) Venezuela has a firm grasp on Arrakis's awe and wonder but he never gives the audience a reason to invest in the narrative. That's profoundly not true. Like the part of the crux of this movie is that it, it starts small and then the grander scope of what's going on here comes to you later. You actually have a reason to invest very early in the beginning because Paul's a likable character. Like it spends the first 30 minutes getting the characters set up, establishing their relationships and, you know, building a world that you somewhat care about. Then, yeah, then action happens. That's how it's, yeah, which is how this is supposed to work, buddy. Ernesto Diaz Martinez of Cine Vertigo, a spectacular but empty film. A single, oh, come on. A oh, single, were... scene, yeah, a single on. scene from David Lynch's failed version, Kenneth McMillan floating in the air and laughing wickedly, is more cinema than this entire movie. Key phrase failed version. <laughs> You, sir, are the worst kind of Philistine. No, just no, you brain-dead, half-baked moron. Jason Shawman of Nashville Scene. Much of Dune Part 1 feels like the radio edit of a Jim Steinman song. It's still long, and you get the bullet points of what's going on, but you don't get the cumulative world-building of all that excess. 
Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I, I, much as I want to razz him for a Jim Steinman reference, he's writing for the Nashville scene. So know your audience. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think they were going more for like a ground level view of the world where we don't go into like the interstellar politics that much. It's more the Atreides perspective and Paul's perspective. That kind I of cuts away to the Harkonnen just to yeah. kind of give you a idea of what else is going on that this you need movie, to know. I think desperately needed the internal politics. It's one of the things I really liked about the David Lynch version was, I mean, when we talked about it on, on trial, Dave, my, our complaints was the constant um, narration, you know, the actual wonkiness the, of the politics well, was probably the, the best part of it. And the weirdness of David Lynch's film, because yeah, it's a sure. David Lynch film. Uh, Matthew Bond, the mail on Sunday, UK. There's a sense of having seen too much of this sort of thing before. I'm sorry, like a classic novel that influenced an entire genre is a bit derivative yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, like that. That's a stunningly ignorant sentiment. I want to wait. Hang, hang on. I want to read that again just because I, I, I need to put that into perspective. There's a sense of having seen too much of this sort of thing before. Buddy, we got 20 some odd Marvel movies in the past 10 years. I mean, in this, in a world with 20 Marvel movies that follow the same basic structure, I'm going to be okay. They. I'm okay with Dune being slightly out of the box, but also slightly, you know, uh, we've seen this before. Get over it. Yeah, it's, it's almost like saying like, oh, Jesus is so derivative of Tatooine in Star Wars. We've seen desert planets before. It's like, yeah, where do you think they got the idea from? <laughs> Jordan Rolmi of World of Real. It also feels like half a movie. All set it up, is. no payoff. One conceived with the primary intention of world building before hopefully going for the kill shot in the sequel. That's yeah, actually fairly accurate. I mean, it's it's a full movie. It's just half a book. Yeah. Um, John Urban, Urbansich of JM Movies with a U. You might not be able to tell a player without a scorecard, none of whom are particularly engaging in this lengthy part one assortment. Oh, that's ridiculous. They even color-coded it for your convenience. I know! Like, <laughs> who's lost about who's who in this particular endeavor, sir? Um, Kathy Woods of Cup of Soul. Impressively epic. True. I, I mean, mean... You're not you're not wrong, but I question how helpful that is. <laughs> that's why I read it. Like, good. That, that's the kind of review I get from my kids. Like, what'd you, did you like it? Yes, I like the girl. Not I mean, the, the, there is a full review there, so I assume she has more yeah. to say. But yeah, not 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 the greatest poll quote from the review. Yeah, whoever the did point. that, I don't. I, I do this with the full acknowledgement that they probably back up some of this in their review. But I, there has to be a better way of doing this because if that's all you're going to put out there, I it were it doesn't make me want to go read the review. It just makes me think like, you know, this person didn't really put any thought into this. Like some of these, I, I would actually like to go and see what they said what they say to back up the comments that they're making. Like I, like I imagine Kaltha Woods, hopefully I got that name right, going to her editor or whoever chose that quote and, and reacting much the same way that Arthur Dent reacted to the entry in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy about Earth. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, let's, let's not discuss what a miserable adaptation of the source material that movie is. Speaking of being mostly harmless, Kevin Carr, a fat guy at the movies, one Thanks. of our favorites. This is not, no, no, this is not a mostly harmless person. This man is a menace to the critical community, a menace 
It's epic, man. It's big, but it does fall into traps I've seen in science fiction because I've seen science fiction stuff because I'm fat guy. Okay, I'm not not exactly sure what type of traps. I mean, credit for him at least not saying that it falls into sand traps. Get it? Get it? Get it? Get it? Wait, get it? Wait, wait, wait. Can you do that line one more time? Yeah. Well, at least it doesn't fall into sand traps. Oh, I thought you were going to go with the sad trombone, but that's that were. <laughs> So Loki. So Loki. There we go. <laughs> okay. More on. Gimmick, then. <laughs> Look okay, at that once... handsome devil with the the creamy caramel smooth voice. Once again, moron. When you're dealing with something that influenced the entire genre, it's a little bit like saying, you know, I I enjoy this Shakespeare fellow, but I've seen too much of the three act structure. Like. Or maybe a better Shakespearean reference would be, but, oh, the soliloquies are a bit much. Like, haven't we seen too much of soliloquies in this latest adaptation of Hamlet? Do we really need the soliloquy? Hasn't the soliloquy been done? Like, this is what you're doing when you take one, when you take formative material and drop it, you know, decades later, everyone looks at it and goes, oh, you're so... this is what established the precedence that you're saying it falls into. This was groundbreaking stuff when it originally came out. And I'm sorry, you're not going to give it proper context because you're too lazy to read a book. Chris McCoy of Memphis Flyer. Science fiction claims to be about tomorrow, but it's really about today. Oh, congratulations. He finally figured it out. <laughs> And 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 here I'm I'm gonna blow your mind. Most history movies are actually about today. And for more on that, check out. Oh, and you're our, telling me the Oscar. Oh, and you're telling me the Oscars are also political. Oh, fuck off. Yeah, dude, dude, like Aaron Peterson. And for more politics in your history movie, check out Ronnie and I reviewing the Last Duel, the most Me Too movie you'll see this year, set in the well, 1300s. Can I just say I read this and I listened to you guys and I read the synopsis. Yes. They really needed to maintain the ambiguity about Adam Driver's character's guilt. Like, taking yeah. a firm stance on that ruins the entire point of what that thing is. Like, the, the whole point about the duel by co- the trial by combat is that it doesn't actually solve anything. There's no, <laughs> I mean, it, there's finality, but it, it's not about, it makes it no longer about you know, the evidentiary process. And by showing the audience, yeah, no, he's guilty. You utterly, de- you utterly remove the ability of that film. Showed it twice, by the way. Showed I'm, it twice yeah. he was guilty. Yeah. In case you missed it the first time. In case, Rashomon this ain't, right? <laughs> Michael <laughs> Medved of the Michael Medved show. We hate you, Mike. I hate you, Michael Medved. You well, have, Mark you hates you. I just <laughs> you didn't you hang a- up on Robert yet. I just called you, I'm just happy to call you a self-employed loser, but Mark actually hates you. The inventive visuals and audio effects are world-class and often spellbinding, but the twists and turns are sometimes hard to follow. I'm Michael Medved, listen to my radio show. Okay, look, put down look. the phone, look, <laughs> look at the screen, ears, let's put on our listening ears, like in third grade, you, know, you can do this. Like yeah, yeah. Like this isn't this isn't like a Marvel Mark. movie where like you know, we're gonna hold hold you by the hand and we're gonna take you and we're gonna show you. You know, Shang Chi's mom is dead. Her father wants to bring her back by going to another dimension. Okay, got that? She's dead. He wants to bring her back. And then okay, okay. Now we're gonna go to the other dimension. I'm still holding your hand. It's okay. 
Okay, we're not going to go too fast. Okay, now you see the big door has an evil soul-sucking monster behind it that's lying to him. Yeah, okay. And yeah, see, see, little soul sucking monsters are coming out, implying that there is a big soul sucking monster behind it. See, see, now there is the big soul sucking monster, and it's sucking out his soul. Okay. See, see, don't worry, don't worry. You won't have to rub two brain cells together. We got. It. I mean, you know, like, I, I, I like Marvel movies, but you know, like, yeah, you actually have to pay attention and listen to the dialogue. You know, Our those things that are usually used to explain stuff, and and you'll be fine. I have yep. to ask you, you. You took your children to see this. Yes. Did your daughter have any trouble following the action <laughs> when she when was, she was awake? awake? No. Okay. Okay. Look, I, that's. I'll really tell you this: my seven-year-old not once asked me what was going on. He was okay. antsy, but he's seven. He gets to be antsy. Okay. So, Michael Medved of the Michael Medved Show. Please listen to my radio. T please listen to my radio program. Had more trouble following the plot of this thing than your seven-year-old son who was <laughs> vibrating in the chair next to you. Correct. And people take this jack wagon seriously. Uh, John Serber of Decider. I can't take What dudes... did you decide, sir? <laughs> God damn it. I can't take Dune seriously because it takes itself too seriously. This isn't to say Venezuela doesn't give the material the fresh vision it needs. Dune may deserve a second chance in a movie theater. Sorry, what? <laughs> I really just needed more comedy in my movie about <laughs> genocide. That's like, what I... I that's what I needed. Like second I, chance, it, it already has a chance. And like I, I don't get what this guy is trying to say with that he's sentence. Say, he's saying he wants to see Dune via Taika Watiti. That's what this asshole <laughs> is saying. Well, my bet just comes comes across as ungracious. Like this is the most filial, most loyal adaptation ever. And it's but, just but, like but David, it one more. But David, don't you understand? It takes itself to it takes the discussion of genocide and imperialism seriously. I I need comedy. I need Led Zeppelin. I need <laughs> like, That's what this idiot's saying. That's the crux of his point. How dare this film take itself how dare this drama, this action drama take itself seriously? No, moron. This is heady stuff. How dare the people in your movie, not do everything with a wink and a nod to the fourth wall. Oh, you miserable, useless sack of crap. I double dog dare you to say that about the Dark Knight. <laughs> Boy, Batman really could use another turn in the theaters, couldn't he? Yeah, so something with a bit more comedy, not so serious. Yeah. Yeah. V Vincent Mancini of Uprox, that noted. The message of journalism. Let's not talk about uproar. Like <laughs> the fact I don't even need to see the review. The fact that he writes for that outlet is all I need to know. Where I had been a complete sandworm virgin. There's a mental image nobody needs. <laughs> I am not an incorrigible space piggy. Sorry, I think it's spice piggy. Sorry. Spice also, piggy. yeah. Also, another image no one needs. I am not an incorrigible spice piggy. Thank you, Dennis Villanueva. I'm not sure if this is a review or just someone's like fetish fiction. Or... <laughs> we also call that Star Wars, which is Ta mostly George Lucas fetish fiction. 
Ty Burr of Ty Burr's Watchlist, top critic. How did the self-employed loser get to be a top critic? <sighs> it's a lot of them on here. The movie isn't Lawrence of Arabia in space, but it comes pretty close. And I say that as also, I say that as someone who went in a doubter. I mean, I'm not quite sure what to make of that, but to the people that keep complaining that 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 Dune looks too much like you know the desert and based on desert cultures, like yes, it's a desert planet. Like we're I, going to base the things on the desert planet along the, the place on the planet where most people have been living that is a desert because they probably have a pretty good idea on how that goes. I'm I'm just going to throw this out there to people, and I, re I really mean this. There's a real finite way that life develops in certain conditions, especially extreme conditions. The fact that humanity evolved at all on Arrakis is something of a miracle. Uh, it didn't actually. The Fremen did actually were oh, yeah, they migrants. Migrated. They migrated. Yeah, oh, yeah but but, but very, very long ago. Point being... They were there first. Yeah, yeah. Point being... There's... If you have something that you know works in a specific harsh... Like, if you said... If, if Arrakis was a rainforest planet instead of a desert planet, but we had the same issues at hand... Ooh, oh, oh, oh. And, and, and you could have, like, big blue cat people on it. Sure. <laughs> All right. Big, there, there's the a bunch blue, of the big blue cat people whose culture sure looks a lot like a bunch of people who live in a jungle, doesn't it, on Earth? All right. I, there's a handful of these I got to read. So just let, let's let's quick hits and then we're done. Just but the, but these these couple here that I have on screen are are fantastic. Oh, Armin boy. White hates everything. By the way, I don't think we've ever read anything of his that was fresh, and everything he writes is stupid. National Review. If you expect a sensual, kinetic, visually exciting movie version of Frank Herbert's renowned 1965 epic sci-fi novel, be prepared for a presentation of global malaise instead. Yeah, because I sure read the book and thought, boy, that sure was sensual. I don't well, know about you, on, but I've on, really on, enjoyed on. the Dune porn parodies. Hang on. <laughs> in, I'm going to defend him in the following way. Okay. I don't think he means sensual as in erotic. Sure. I think he means it as in playing with the senses. Really should have used a different word then. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Hang on, especially hang on. after that whole like worm virgin space pig spice piggy thing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> look, you're doing it. <laughs> it's not his fault that he's below that guy on the list. Fair uh, point, and, but still. And, and I'm not saying his vocabulary shouldn't have been expanded in this particular instance. It should have. There's better words. I'm only saying I don't think he intended to mean, you know, we. He, I don't think he was lobbying to see the story of O. Okay? That's all I'm saying. Why can't we get that remade in theaters in Let's IMAX? Let's not. <laughs> I need you know what? epic no, 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 IMAX no. story of O. You know why? I can tell you why if you really want to know. Because it's porn? No. Believe it or not, no. Okay. Because Fifty Shades of Grey. Fuck off. I'm just, <laughs> look, I deserve that for even referencing that particular <laughs> dumpster fire of creativity, literature, and understanding of how human beings interact with one another. It's terrible. <laughs> and anyone who read it and said otherwise, shame on you. Go stand in a corner. Wait for the witch to get you. Speaking of the witch... Ed Whitfield of Robert's favorite publication, The Outre. Ooh, The Outre. You know, it's a good thing we went to the visual. 
right? <laughs> because when you used to say the outre, I visualized it being spelled very, very differently. It is literally the tray full of ooh. <laughs> Put the word out. Someone at Waters has a gambling problem. Not helpful. Yeah, I thought they did a pretty good job this time around. <laughs> the hell does that have to do with anything well the implication being that they are putting money on these feature films without any sort of real guarantee they're going to make money but that is an asinine pull from his review it really is like that, that's, that's kind of just a description of what a producer does yeah like that that's not look i'm going to you know what no i'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt that your full review is actually worthwhile but i will say this that's a terrible pull from what I'm assuming is an equally terrible review, in fact, just to kind of dig the knife in here, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say the reason they pulled that it's the most is that it's the most coherent sentence you put together <laughs> in your review. Granted, it doesn't really say if he's saying that as a good or a bad thing. I know, like all we have is the fact that he landed positive on it. Yeah. All right. Personally, I think Hollywood could use more of a gambling problem. No Robert. kidding. Everything's safe these I days. I think they could use a drinking problem. Oh, they've already got. Oh, they that. already got that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Robert Horton of the Scarecrow. All right. <laughs> but why? But for why? A minimum of dialogue and a multitude of meaningless glances. Meaningful. Fuck. Meaningful. Yeah, that, You're right. That Sorry. doesn't. That doesn't make the review that much better. It doesn't. Yeah. It really doesn't. I just want to like... make sure he can't say you put you misquoted me, and I don't deserve this kind of abuse. No, <laughs> no, buddy. If yeah. you, if you, sir can't handle the ability of actors to convey emotions and thoughts and feelings purely with their faces and their eyes and how they look at each other and you need everything spelled out on a silver platter for you you deserve to watch nothing but marvel movies for the rest of your life last one and then we're done chris knight of the national post the first line in dune is dreams are messages from the deep it is in part warning part invitation don't be afraid Fear is the mind killer. Quote, in uh, quotation marks, if you, Jesus Christ, parentheses, I have to go to bed. If you <laughs> don't get that reference, then it applies to you even more. Open your eyes and let the dream take you. Okay. This yeah, was the another. The spice must flow. Long live the fighters. The sleeper has awakened. Yes, yes, very clever. You could not have thrown more, like, happy quotes into that thing if you tried. And I'm sure you did. <laughs> But moreover, what an odd choice to pull from that review. <laughs> like you're you're trying to what replicate the desire for a dreamlike state in your crappy writing? Like what the hell? All right, that wraps up our Dune review, everybody. Um, this week on the Rattle Engine Broadcasting Network, uh, last night myself and Sean. I guess had a good review of Donnie Darko celebrating its 20th anniversary. Um, wait, wait. When you say a good review, do you mean you reviewed the movie positively or that you guys had fun and, and did a good job on the show reviewing According it? According to Andrew, we had a very enjoyable, he had a very enjoyable listen to our review. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet is why I ask. Because okay. if you were too favorable to Donnie Darko, like, we well, got I, I honestly thought Sean was going to tear into it more than he did. Um, I think for my part, my defense of it was basically had it just focused on the mental and mental health part of it. It probably is a salvageable movie. I think it gets caught up in it. I think the metaphysical stuff detracts from what could have been a good central narrative. You can listen to us talk about it. The only reason why I was like, I guess it was okay. Sean and I were having a lot of audio problems 
where he couldn't hear me at times. And so there was that like, you know, where I would talk, he wouldn't hear it until 10 seconds later. So there was stuff like that. Um, there was, you know, I actually get this. I actually had to go back and edit it. Ooh, I'm proud of you, Mark. <laughs> Almost burnt down my Good fucking job. house in anger Mark. about it. But <laughs> Mark, we've been doing that. I do that. David does that. Jesse does that. It's okay. No, it's not. It really is. <laughs> editing is the mind killer. No. <laughs> Your spice... fear of editing is the mind killer. <laughs> the, the spice must flow. Um, anyway, we had a review of Crown Jewel. Um, we're re-airing a bunch of our paranormal activity movies from a couple years back because of Next of Kin that comes, that comes out this Friday. Uh, the aforementioned last Jewel review with Ronnie. Jesse has uh, has an entire series of Rise of the Midnight Suns mini podcasts that are going to be dropping one day and uh, one day apiece until Halloween tomorrow. Uh, speaking of which, myself, Jesse Starcher, and Robert Cooper will be reviewing Halloween self titled album from June. Um, <clears throat> Gavin and I will wrap up uh, Ted Lasso season two, and then on Friday, eh, um, you said wrap up a lasso. That's funny. Uh, myself. Myself and Alexis Haina, we'll be doing a triple feature on Scooby Meets Courage, Muppets Haunted Mansion, and My Little Pony, Raw Raw, We're an Angry Mob. And then uh, Jason Teasley finally gets his wish. I can, I can cut everybody else's shows. I cut David's shows. I cut I cut Robert Winfrey's shows. Thanks. But I tried to cut Jason Teasley's shows, and he threw himself a giant man tantrum. So, <laughs> you, season one, uh, Friday night. Saturday. Uh, to be fair, having... when Mark says he cuts my shows, he then also and other people wind up deciding that I have to host the what if discussion. <laughs> have fun with that. I, 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 ju I, I just have to point this out. It, it's it's this is my fault. I didn't I was out at the time, so I didn't see the discussion because mm -hmm. I don't have a phone. And when I come back <laughs> And I, I see this, I see that there's been activity in this chat, so, and I know what it is, I know it's the what-if group, so I'm like, okay, let me see what's happened. And Mark goes, okay, we have a scheduling problem. Uh, so we either need to do X or Y or Z, and they go through it, and then one of the options presented was, so we either need to have Robert step out, in which case we can do it here, or have me step out, in which case you all get together here. And had I been here, I would have happily said, I don't need to be on this. <laughs> he would have dove you, out you of are, it. <laughs> you are welcome to do this without me. I don't have a tremendous amount to contribute. And instead, because I wasn't there to, to advocate on my own behalf, everyone decided, no, we'll move it to this date and Robert will host. And I, I watched this happen and I, ha I felt like, <laughs> look, Mark hasn't made the reference, so I need to now. I felt like McNulty coming back and discovering that no one had been monitoring the phone lines, <laughs> looking at the, looking down the list. This is it. This is them ordering the hit. And because there was no one here covering this, we can't use this in court. What the hell? Jesus, what the fuck did I do? You happy now, bitch? Our decision-making process functions like the UN Security Council. <laughs> Guess what, Robert? We're going to Vietnam. <laughs> oh, I hate the UN. Anyway, so, into, a lesser, yeah. into a lesser degree, the Rattledgen Broadcasting Network. So, I don't. I don't hate the Rattledgen Broadcasting Network. So, I I have no plans to kill most of you. Um. So Saturday, uh, we're having fun with horror trivia. That's Jesse and Alexis, um, hosting that game show. And on Halloween. 
We've got Power Rangers on a Nightmare on Elm Street, our re-airing of our Trick or Treat uh, review reanimated. I think the last part of Rise of the Midnight Suns and uh, I think another unspoken issues for Spawn number nine. Next week, we've got Eternals by Neil Gaiman, Last Night in Soho, Paranormal Activities, Next of Kin, which will feature a segment dedicated entirely to Sean revisiting the first four Paranormal Activity movies, and it'll be 20 minutes, just 20 minutes of Sean all by his lonesome talking about those movies. Because um, as funny as it is for him to yell out, how did Tony, how did Toby get a copy of Final Cut Pro? He'd like another shot at those movies. <laughs> I told him it wasn't necessary, but he wants it anyway. So I'm giving him his own section because we don't have money to talk about. Um, <clears throat> we'll be reviewing the new Ministry album. If you'd like hygiene. to, hang on. We would like to have more money to talk about, so please sponsor us. <laughs> And the re and the, and while um, Pat and I will be reviewing Dark Side of the Ring season three B in the afternoon, mm. there is no evening podcast because I'm going to see Eternals with my kids. Uh, and then on Friday, the last thing I'll plug here, um, Robert and I have all year have been having this like very lengthy conversation about the state of film, which somehow or other led us back to this past year's Oscar season. So we. Later than anyone would care to hear about it, but we're doing it anyway. We are going to watch. We are going to watch and review Sad Piano, the movie, otherwise known as Nomadland. You know, hang on. I'm 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 part way through that movie as we currently record this. Yeah. I didn't realize when I heard that joke. I thought it was all about <laughs> the theme. Yeah. I thought it like like the themes the movie touches on. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the only musical score is in fact a sad piano playing. It's a little bit disconcerting. I, I'm not enjoying this movie for Good. a variety of for a variety of reasons. Now, again, to be fair, I still have about two thirds left to go, so my opinion might change. My experience viewing it might change. And if you want my full review, again, Mark and I are going to be talking about that. Mank. Mank, which I have seen, and <clears throat> and then have, the father and the father which got Anthony Hopkins his second Oscar and apparently nearly led to riots when that particular award did not go to the late Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. All right, David, um, your next, your um, <laughs> last part of the, of the Star Trek retrospective, the, Kel the Kelvin years will actually be airing on November 13th. And that Ooh. is being uh, aired then because a few days later we're getting Star Trek Discovery season four, which we don't review on this network. But hey, synergy. No one. Look, no. If one you ask, I will take the bullet. No, no, no. no. I'm, I'll. I'm when when uh, world's best country or whatever the new Star Trek show is called. Um, uh, Strange New Worlds. That's the one. When Strange New Worlds debut, then we'll do that. And of course, Picard season two. I've actually already gone on the calendar. I've taken a wild guess at when it ends. Right. So, so anyway, so we are. So to clarify, we are going to do Discovery at some point. No, is that no. what you're saying? No. Okay. Okay. Oh, we're going to do Strange New Worlds. Gotcha. Correct. Yeah. I okay. I made an exception for Jason because of Man Tantrum. I don't want to watch more than one season of television at a time. So and and look, no one wants to watch Discovery. Yeah, I don't think anyone really cares that we're going to bash that show like no one cares about that show at all <laughs> um well so, except for the people writing it no right. i'm not i'm not entirely convinced that's true do either. your plugs <laughs> <laughs> okay so still gonna make a case for lower decks at some point but Ew. lower decks oh when i'm done with jason yeah Stop fair enough me i'm kind of <laughs> busy yeah see how you like it mark how do you like that no 
Robert, Robert is getting some great pathos at this moment. Okay, yeah, I will probably be on for Eternals, assuming I have anything to say after seeing the movie. Uh, yeah, Star Trek retrospective to look forward to. Uh, are we doing the Cowboy Bebop Netflix live action thing at some point? We are. That is so. scheduled. Hang on, keep going, and I'll just yell it at you uh, while you're talking. Yeah. So when that comes on, I will most likely be on that. Uh, uh, and for have December, you seen, have you seen but, the last trailer? The latest trailer yes. for that? Yeah, John. Yeah. We'll, John Show, man. Well, no. we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll see. And December seventh. Uh, now wait, you're on that one because you're not on my list here. So I'll put. You oh, on. I, I would like to be on that one. Yes. Uh, All right. Probably go. probably Spider Man Far From Home, and I believe we are also going to do the first season of Foundation. The other great sci-fi classic being adapted this year. Wait a minute. You're will, will, it be, will it be Hang as on. good as Dune? We're not sure yet. Hang on. I don't know if you're actually on Spider-Man Far From Home. Well, I would probably like to be. You may not have room. Okay. Well, maybe I'll be on the round table. We'll, 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll sling that web when we get to it. God damn it. There's too many of you. Um, <laughs> Hang there's, on. Look, look, there's too many people who come out of the woodwork uh on rare occasion for a handful of things that they care about and the rest of us that are here week after week after week after week just go i want to be them well <laughs> here's the problem there's no room left anymore because i try to cap these things at four and we already have robert alexis and gavin apparently took the last spot okay well well for the time being then i'm not on that one but if we if i need to if you need a pitch hitter we'll uh we'll see what happens that's fine want to be on the matrix no, no one wants to be on the Matrix. <laughs> Put no me down one. as a maybe. We'll we'll, we'll see. Okay, we'll closer to you. Got You guys got to start calling this stuff early. Like like when I make when I when I put you it only in post my... a schedule a month in advance. No, no, <laughs> no, doesn't. I don't. <laughs> I have this stuff set up months in advance. I don't tell anyone about it Mark, Mark, until a month before. Quick, show this. Show show David the schedule real fast. Okay, hang on one second, because for the for the for the real comedic effect of this, I. Uh, Oh crap! Uh, for the real comedic effect of this, I will only show him just the podcasting schedule. Yeah, yeah, that's how this works. Okay, hang on, I got to set it up. This is the, this is your bird box moment, David. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, I haven't seen the movie either, but apparently it involves looking at something that drives you insane. All those red dots are podcasts. I think we froze, David. <laughs> scroll down quick scroll down to december just for the laugh did we really lose david he hasn't moved yep. uh, no no, no, no there it is. David. <laughs> oh, okay. you ruined it mark hang on here's december i can keep going that's december here comes january ready 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 boom january you look at all those fridays you have open on january mark <laughs> all right. Well, I have some suggestions. No. <laughs> uh, that's February. Again. <laughs> Ooh, a lot of Fridays. February's pretty... February doesn't look that bad at the moment. That's very full, people. Stop trying to fill up my schedule. <laughs> um, so that's yeah, February. So. That's March. Yeah, March is where things start picking back up, to the shock of no one. April. April's See, got a bit of it. May, oh, May, May is good. May, yeah. we're, well, May we haven't completely filled up yet. That's because hang on, that's because we're waiting to see how many movies in the next couple of months get put get postponed yeah. to May, which already has a damn you Hollywood set every week. It looks like. Yep. Ooh, Iron Eagle them. commentary on that. On. on trial, Top Gun on that. Yeah. You're not on. on Iron Eagle. That's a re-air. 
one oh, of nuts. one of those damn you <laughs> edit me in <laughs> one of those damn you hollywoods i'm not on but only no, that, one that would be ronnie who took that bullet for you so it's june want, if he wants to talk legally blonde three god bless him he already i've already worked it out with him i said there's no way i can get anyone else to do this including the girl i work with please take that job for me and he said i got you bubola um so that's june so what did that cost you my soul um <laughs> ronnie doesn't want your soul there's july see and so it get we get to august where we actually like don't have a tremendous amount on the schedule so there it is so point being if there's something coming up that you want to be on call dibs because it's already on the schedule <laughs> yep i am not holding people's hands you want you want to you you all have the same access to the same list that i do call it out ahead of time because like let me that's why I, that's why I took it out of the public chat and and started making everyone talk to me privately because people because I was getting like it was like Game of Thrones they were like people were like hi hey, would you make an alliance with me like yes we'll talk Matrix it's fine we're playing it we're playing a game of diplomacy <laughs> yeah for those right. who never played that game you may not get that reference but speaking of playing games do your plugs so we can get out of here. All right. I covered professional wrestling, even though I maligned it earlier, and I stand by that because contemporary professional wrestling I find utterly uninteresting. But if you do, I called you a brain-dead abused cultist. And while I might feel that way about some of you, and look, you guys know who you are. You're the ones who come in every week and who go, boy, I don't know why I'm watching. I know why I'm watching, because I have to. When get I don't have to. With it. Yes, get over there! I cover so, Loki. it. Hang on. I cover professional wrestling a few nights a week. I covered this last week. I covered Raw this last Monday because Tony Acero had a tech issue, I suppose. So my three hours of suffering over there. I cover AEW's Dark Elevation. My review for that is up in the wrestling zone of 411 Mania. Wednesday, I cover a whatever MLW puts out. Uh, apparently, they recently released the full match for Alexander Hammerstone and uh, excuse me, Jacob Fatu, which went about 37, like 32, 37 minutes, I think. The video is 37, but it includes entrances. Those two guys going 30 minutes was a mistake. The cut-down version on Fightland is much better. So I'll cover whatever their Fusion Alpha event is this particular week, and I cover WWE SmackDown on Fridays. Yeah, Charlotte Flair. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for joining Hang us Hang on. Here. All right, my big thing. Sorry. Look, you cut me off in the middle of my sad head shake about the existence of Charlotte Flair. Saturdays, I cover whatever the UFC is running. Uh, this last week was UFC on ESPN Plus 54. Decent main event. Fun little slugfest on the prelims. You can find my full report in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. This Saturday is UFC 267 with two title fights and a pretty rock and lightweight fight between Dan Hooker and Islam Makashev. That is free to anyone who has ESPN Plus here in the United States and will start... The prelims start, I believe, at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time because they're going live. They're going primetime in Abu Dhabi rather than here in the United States. So I will be covering that. And if you want my preview for that, I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. Wherever you're listening to this show, you can plug that into your search bar and you can probably find me talking mixed martial arts. So please give that a listen if you're so inclined. I have my full preview for that event. And Next just, week. And on November 19th, Robert and I will be doing uh, alternative commentary for Demetrius Andrade versus Jason Quigley on DAZN. I really hope you're joking. <laughs> but I can't. I'm not going to click over and I'm not going to click over and look at the calendar. 
I'm going to tell you you're joking. We're going to leave it at that. Uh, so, so uh, Robert likes to do the DAZN fights with me. So he'll be on Demetrius Andrade, following up from our Demetrius Andrade versus Luke Keeler from right before lockdown. Mark, why are you lying to the people? <laughs> we'll talk. Why are you lying to the people, Mark? I was, hope, I was hoping if I just sprung it on you, you'd, you'd agree. No. <laughs> no. I mean, first of all, hang on. I think there's a UFC event on. Not. There. It's on a Friday. Or I wouldn't have even asked. Uh, really? Yeah. That could be complicated for me then. No, well, no. You, it'll be done by the time Smack. It'll be it'll, the match. Yeah, SmackDown will be over by the time Demetrius Andre gets in the ring. Um, oh, I thought you meant the UFC event was on a Friday. I had to double no. check that. No, Dimitri, of course, the, of course, they put Demetrius Andre on a Friday. No one cares about him. So you can check out Robert and I covering that fight. No, you cannot. I. <laughs> no, Mark, you dragged me to one Demetrius Andre fight. That hey, was David, <laughs> how much boxing do you watch? None at all. Well, no, I've seen a couple of Rocky movies. So your first answer was correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, so this last episode was a preview of the upcoming UFC 267. Also featured some of my thoughts on Shakur Stevenson. You can listen to Mark and uh, who was your? Daniel Lasby. Yeah. Uh, I listened to a little bit of what you guys did. They provided some, some watch along stuff for Shakur Stevenson and Jamel Herring. Uh, so again, you have some of my thoughts on that. A lot of stuff from this last week. And this coming week will be a review of UFC 267 and a preview of UFC 268, which is another really stacked pay-per-view featuring two title fights and a fairly notable uh, and support fight. stupidly going up against the Canelo fight. Yeah, I think they're going to be just fine against Canelo in this case. Well, I'll have Chris Bailey on for that since Robert will be tied up with the UFC. So, yes, you will be getting um, alternative commentary for Canelo versus Caleb Plant. And you'll be having uh, featuring me and Chris Bailey and possibly Daniel Lasby. It depends on if he gets the show or not. Uh, look, the UFC, the UFC will get out of the way for certain box for certain MMA or excuse me, certain boxing events. Largely, this is determined by how Dana White feels about any of the boxers involved. <laughs> He was happy to get out of the way of Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder 3 because he wanted to watch it and he kind of likes Tyson Fury. Dana White does not like Canelo and is and happily counter-programs him at every opportunity, it seems. <laughs> so instead of watching Canelo and Plant, I will be watching the rematch between Rose Namajunas and Zhang Weili and the rematch between Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington. All right, folks, thank you for joining us here in our review of Dune next week, Last Night in Soho, and Paranormal Activity next of Kin. For David Wright and Robert Winfrey, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and always use the right bathroom. <laughs>